What's up, YouTube? I'm Robert, and this is the Biker Bar podcast live stream, episode 82. For those of you guys that don't know, it's Rebel Bikes. I mean, it is in the title and all, but I figured I should just go ahead and lead with that. Because uh, I, I noticed that I did put a post on Instagram and a lot of people are super stoked about this one. And so am I. So that should be pretty fun to talk about. Let's get to a couple of things first. I want you guys to do me a favor and either go by Instagram or Facebook and um, follow the page because then you get a little bit of, little bit of extra info about the, the channel and what's going on. And um, makes me feel good about myself seeing the subscriber count or the follower count or whatever you want to call it count go up same thing with this channel as well like if you like what you're hearing hit the thumbs up button if you really like it hit the subscribe button i always forget to say that i feel like we're all adults here or most of us are i'm assuming most of the people listening to this are adults if you're not an adult pretend you are hit the subscribe button and just feel grown up about yourself it'd be good um outside of that i would love to have anybody who really wants to support the channel do that and there's a couple of ways that you can do that you can a do what we just talked about hit thumbs up hit subscribe follow the, the instagram and the facebook and that's like that's the easiest way it's like super cheap it's free actually <laughs> but if you have some money just burning a hole in your pocket you don't have anything else better to do you can swim by swing by the biker website and uh hit the little shop link and you can pick up some swag like this hat i'm wearing or the shirts that you see me wearing or whatever you're into like this cup i have this tumbler here it's got a keeps not one but two 12 ounce beers and then some cold so i feel like that's a must because it's about to get stupid hot around here and i don't know if it is where you are but even if it isn't just get the mug it'll be awesome you'll be happy with yourself outside of that there's people already supporting the channel on patreon and um that is really what what keeps the channel afloat and um keeps paying for cool microphones and cameras and whatever else it is beer for the background because obviously i'm not drinking enough of it lately but that stuff really helps and what i've been doing on patreon lately is i've been putting together videos that are kind of like my original ones back on the biker channel like quick cuts of me riding and not all fancy with the music and the drone shots and the b-roll but just um, me cussing and bitching about climbing and having a good time and laughing on trails. And I'm releasing that only for the happy hour crew. So that's the $5 a month crew. So if you want to see more consistent trail POV kind of old school footage, go ahead and swing by Patreon and join that happy hour crew. It's five bucks a month. And if you just want to throw me a tip, like a tip jar, join the dollar one and that'll give you access to the coupon codes that we have and that is we me the coupon i guess it's we it's everybody on patreon and um you can get coupons for the some of the the companies that that have worked with us and set us up something special so that's pretty cool if you're looking for building a new wheel set you could get a 20 percent off of project 321 and that's um that's for 12 bucks a year. I think that'll, that'll definitely um, pay for about, I don't know, a billion years of, of Patreon or something like that. I'm not very good at math. So anyways, let's go ahead and get these guys on and get started and uh, bring them up here. I'm going to hit this button because I always forget to. There we go. What's up? We got Adam and Chris here from Revel. Those of you guys that are watching, Adam's on the left. Chris is on the right, and uh, I'll let them go ahead and introduce themselves. Adam, um, if you want to say hello, that way the people on the podcast kind of know which voice is which. Yeah, totally. So, so I'm I'm Adam Miller, uh, founder of Revel Bikes and Y Cycles, 
And uh, I'm sure I'll talk a whole lot more about all that. <laughs> in a yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And this is uh, this is Chris. Yeah, I'm Chris Reichel. I am I think, technically the marketing director, but my official title here is director of Stoke. Oh, there you go. I, I, I do the directing of Stoke as well. So that's a fun but job. It's much more fun than marketing. That, that gets kind of boring sometimes. Too <laughs> right? right? Exactly. Well, that's cool. So um, I guess it's we go ahead and just start off with, with that since you're both wearing the opposite shirts here. I don't know if you planned that on purpose today. <laughs> <or> like... <laughs> we, we, we actually, literally, we were just we were just saying like, wow, we didn't even plan these shirts. Like I, I was uh, skiing. It was the Highlands uh, closing closing day today. So I was outside in the sun. So I'm all sunburned. But um, I got down here and then Chris was already at the computer working here on a Sunday night, which is, I guess, springtime in the bike industry. And I said, oh, we got this podcast coming up and we just happen to be wearing a shirt for each each brand that we sell here. So right on, not, not planned, but it worked out great. No, no, that's super cool. So um, for people that don't know, um, could you, Adam, give us a little like, uh, who is Revel? What, what do you guys do? Yeah. So, and um, that was a nice quiet sound of Chris popping a beer there. So, um, Hey, it's a biker bar, man. Somebody's got to drink. Bar, yeah, we're on the same page. Here you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, I started, uh, rebel bikes and, and Y cycles were, were, were two brands and one business, one building, everything's the same, but we have two different product lines. So rebel bikes makes high end carbon fiber, full suspension mountain bikes. We launched with two models, uh, in March, March one of 2019. So just over two years ago, we just had our two-year birthday. It was a lot uh, more mellow than the one-year birthday before before COVID times. But uh, so, so we're a relatively uh, new bike company. We launched a third model last summer, uh, a few more models in the works. But uh, the goal is to make the best carbon full suspension mountain bikes. Right on. And um, Chris, maybe you could explain why since you got the Y-Cycle shirt on. Uh, why was just uh, Adam's idea of making titanium bikes, which are, have normally traditionally been kind of uh, stuffy yet aesthetically pleasing, but given the modern geometry and modern bells and whistles and tubing shapes, basically taking all the shaping and tubing design and industrial design of uh, carbon, but applying that to um, titanium and making like beautiful swoopy bikes. And who doesn't love a titanium hardtail? Yeah. So. Yeah. Those things look sweet. I was checking it out on the website and uh, I was, uh, for, I'm like such a fickle person and and I'm definitely like one of those guys that like I'll choose a bike off of like what color it is, right? <laughs> you're, you're in good company. I mean, right. <laughs> we, we like colorful bikes, <laughs> right? So like the, the gravel bike that I have right now, I'm just not happy with the paint scheme and I'm too lazy to take it apart and just get it painted. I'm like, oh, this, this seems like a much more reasonable like option uh, option to just go buy a new one and that's so how i was checking out the uh, gravel bike that you guys had on there i was like oh, that looks pretty sweet yep. you know a couple guys <laughs> so what's the deal with titanium why why is that like the um the 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 creme de la creme it seems like with a uh, specialty bikes yeah it's titanium has always been this kind of unique awesome material that has this sort of like allure to it and it's been used for bikes for for you know for ages since since well before carbon fiber but that's kind of one thing that, that sets us apart is we're, we're all we're kind of a building full of bike nerds right now i think we have ni 19 people um uh, at our company uh for, for, for revel and y and, and y cycles is this, it's a much smaller company it's kind of more the artistic um you know handmade 
uh, uh, products. We, we do like hand-drawn uh, graphics and artwork and everything on those bikes. And then Rebel Bikes is a little bit more mainstream, still small niche brand, but a little bit more mainstream. But mm -hmm. I, started, uh, I started both brands at the same time, but it took about three and a half, four years to get the Rebel products ready to launch. Whereas making mm -hmm. hardtail titanium bikes was a whole lot uh, quicker. So I've just, from when I was a little kid, I always kind of was, was a bike geek and titanium bikes. It's, it's always been the creme de la creme. It's kind of this magic metal. Um, the, the thing that makes titanium bikes really special is the ride quality. So titanium is really flexible and has a lot of damping in the material. So when you hit a, you know, a rock in the trail or a crack in the road, a titanium frame is going to flex and then make the ride feel a lot smoother than a steel bike or an aluminum bike carbon mm -hmm. can achieve that but it if you if you have really good carbon you can achieve that um a lot of carbon uh is still very stiff stiff right place so really titanium is nice and smooth and comfortable and then it's just artistic at the same time so for wide cycles we have five models we do a couple hardtails some bike packing bikes um uh, and then our gravel bike that, that you were mentioning is, is definitely one of our most popular bikes just because Ty is so smooth and comfortable. Mm -hmm. And then what we do to make it special is uh, shape those tubes so that we optimize that lateral stiffness and vertical compliance. So what we say is we kind of do a modern take on traditional titanium. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it seems to work well. And it's kind of our artistic um, outlet a little bit more so uh, because we can make a lot of new models uh, faster. We have a uh, ISO certified test lab at our factory. So we can kind of, uh, we can develop products really quickly for Y cycles. And then mm -hmm. Rebel takes, you know, there's a lot that goes on for a full suspension carbon bike. So um, mm -hmm. that's a little slower to develop products, but obviously, you know, if I had to pick one bike every day to ride, it would be a Rebel carbon full suspension bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I um, were, were you got you guys remember Interbike? That used to be like the big big deal, right? <laughs> Something like that. It was like a ghost oh, yeah. town, right? That's right. Like, Did you guys go to the last one that was in 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 Reno? Mm -hmm. I, I early. <laughs> I went to. Did you guys have a booth? No, we we uh, seeing the trend of Interbike, we decided that year to not get a booth. A couple of us just went to kind of kick around and shake some hands. Ah, uh, okay. I, I, I would. I would <laughs> yeah, there was. That was crazy. There were so many there that year. Uh, there was a company that had a bunch of Thai bikes that I remember seeing on the floor, but I wasn't sure if it was you guys or not. So, so who knows? Who those guys are obviously long gone by now, right? Yeah. <laughs> Wasting their money on Interbike. Duh. Don't, don't need to do that. <laughs> right? well, I do miss Interbike. There, there were some really fun times at, at Interbike. I um, I've gone like eight years in a row and um, really yeah. enjoyed it. Oh, well. Yeah, unfortunately, the first one that I went to was the last one that they had. I heard that the ones back in the day were a lot more fun. So, yep. <laughs> yeah, we, we made the best of it. I mean, but uh, it, it definitely um, didn't stack up to some of the stories I heard about that place. So, <laughs> yeah, makes sense. <laughs> so, I was on your website and I saw that uh, that apparently you were an entrepreneur from a young age, huh? It yep. said that uh, you were you were buying bikes when you were 11 years old on eBay or something like that, taking them apart and selling the parts or something. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Chris has has uh, encouraged me to tell the story of my bike bike nerd past a little bit more. So, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So I, I was a, I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska, um, and uh, and was a total bike nerd. And I, I was lucky enough; my parents put me in a you know free kids bike program when I was like 10 and two days a week, you went mountain biking and, and I got just absolutely hooked immediately. Mm -hmm. um, played hockey and basketball and other sports and none of those. I, I wasn't very good at all those, but mountain biking seemed, seemed to kind of work, work out for me. So 
um, I, I kind of was a bike nerd and became a business business nerd at, at kind of a similar time. So uh, when I was 11, I got a PayPal account and, and I would buy uh, used bikes on eBay, which was super popular at the time, and then pull the yeah. bikes apart and sell the wheels and the brakes and the drillers and all the parts separately. And um, you know, pedal my bike down to the post office with a bunch of little boxes and, and ship it all out. And, and I actually made pretty good money at that. And then I expanded that business over the years to kind of uh, do consignment sales for people, um, mm -hmm. community. And, and that worked out very well for me. So I learned a whole lot about just tons of different bike parts and how What people... made you want to do that at 11? I was just like, you're like, this is a way that I think I can make, make money. I mean, that's pretty like a uh, big endeavor for somebody that young, you know? Yeah. And w when my parents saw that I had a PayPal account, they freaked out because back then, you know, sending money through the internet was kind of a scary. scary yeah. Thing. yeah. Um, I, I don't have a good answer for, for that, but I, you know, I just had fun with it. It was neat to see all the different parts and all the different technology and see what people wanted. And for me as a kid, it was a way to, you know, uh, before I could drive, I could get on my bike and, you know, go explore the mountains in, in, in Alaska. And, and, and it, I was just totally hooked. So, um, and then I was lucky enough to get a job at the local bike shop when I was 14. And that's a similar mm -hmm. story to, you know, what a lot of us in the bike industry have had. And, you know, being 14 years old, working at a bike shop with a bunch of really cool dudes. And, you know, sometimes I was able to sneak a, you know, classy beer after work and all, all that. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. just a good way to kind of learn everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So did you just, you, you worked in bike shops along the years and then decided to start your own bike company or how did you go from, you know, being somebody that I'm assuming is like wrenching on bikes or helping sell bikes to like, Hey, I'm going to manufacture it my own. Yeah. Um, I got really lucky. So I worked at a bike shop called chain reaction cycles in, in Anchorage and in Alaska, it is cold and dark for half the year and it snows a lot. So in Alaska, um, so I started working in that shop in 2007 and fat bikes were just becoming a really popular thing up there because if you were into biking, there's snow on the ground six or seven months a year. You, you, you just ride fat bikes up there. Um, right. And the two owners of the bike shop, Jamie and Bill, were awesome. They taught me so much stuff. And they decided to start manufacturing their own fat bikes just to sell in their shop um, in 2008 or nine, I believe. And I thought that was like the coolest thing. You could have this idea to make a bike, a new kind of bike, you know, source mm -hmm. it. At the, they started making them in Oregon and then we're making them in Taiwan. And, and, and I was and they just shared a lot of that with me of that whole process of mm -hmm. uh, kind of have this idea and figure out how to make this into a product and then sell it. So I worked, I worked at that shop for a couple of years as they were, um, the brand is called 907, the named after the area code of, of Alaska. And, um, Jamie and Bill just taught me a lot and, and were nice enough to kind of bring me into a lot of these conversations. And, um, then in 2010, I moved to Colorado Springs to go to college at Colorado mm -hmm. college. And when I was leaving Alaska, I said to the, to bike shop owners and 907 owners, hey, can I take one of these bikes down and maybe I could try to sell it to some other bike shops in Colorado? And they kind of said, oh, sure, you know, it seems like a good idea. Um, right. And uh, and I, I walked into bike shops in Colorado with a aluminum fat bike and I, I got laughed at more times than I, than I didn't like people thought I was walking in with like a recumbent bike to try to sell them or something. And yeah, walked, yeah, it just you know, wasn't something that pe grabbed people's attention, huh? Fat bikes were really, I mean, they're still on the fringe of the whole bike industry, but in 2010, people in Colorado didn't, didn't want to even see a fat bike. <laughs> Which is funny because like there, I mean, there's a lot of snow there too. So yeah, yeah. It, you, it, 
it was weird to see the reaction of people. Um, and, and that was a good lesson in, Hey, different geographies want different types of products. And that's totally, yeah. fair. um, it was nice when the next year, those same bike shops called me back to say, Hey, we actually do want some of those bikes. And, um, and, and that's what really kicked off my whole bike business design career was being able to see it from these other people. So I saw that and then thought, you know what, I really want to do this myself. And, and I think, I think the world needs a carbon fat bike. And I think, Myself and a few other companies at the time were, were pro probably had similar ideas. I was lucky enough that we were, I started a business in 2012 is when I started it called Borealis Fat Bikes. And we launched at Interbike uh, back when it was in, in Vegas oh, there you uh, go. in 2013 uh, with a carbon fat bike. And that just really kicked things off. Like um, it, it, we hit the market when people were much more accepting of fat bikes. And we showed off like a 21 pound carbon fat bike and uh and, and, and the rest is history. I've just yeah, been, yeah. Terrified, but, you know, yeah, I, people were stoked. Yeah. I mean, I, I know a buddy of mine, he just, he just picked up a, a full suspension fat bike now that he's like using. And in my mind, I thought they were always going to be hardtails. I was like, wow, you're not going to need suspension, you know? And he's apparently you do. <laughs> yeah, no, every, every, uh, anything you can imagine, I think is being made right now. And, um, and, and for good reasons. I mean, Borealis, we, I started that brand. I, I was actually in college at the time and, and, uh, I figured it'd be kind of a hobby while I was in college. We, I thought we budgeted around everything. I thought I'd sell 50 bikes in the first year and I would just kind of mm -hmm. work on it after hours and stuff. And, uh, launched it on sent out one press release to bikerumor.com and I had my personal cell phone number on there and within like two or three hours we had sold 50 bikes and uh oh, i was kind of like oh damn we have a we have a real business now yeah. um, and 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 then it was it was actually only like a few weeks after that that uh that chris reached out to me and i i never met him before but uh he was doing a trip to iceland and um yeah i heard through yeah. The, i heard through the grapevine that there was this guy who launched these carbon fiber fat bikes as his like senior project in college. And, uh, and I was like, Whoa, carbon fat bike. That's, I was doing a lot of adventure, adventure air quote style ride, uh, with my friends in the desert using fat bikes to get around, um, navigate big patches of sand and soft trails and, and whatnot between Arizona and Mexico. And, and I was like, wow, this would be way better if this bike weighed 10 pounds less. And, and I had, I had come up with this cockamamie idea to ride, um, north to south across Iceland over seven days with some of my friends. And, and so I hit him up to see if, uh, if he'd want to loan me some bikes. And he was like, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we kind of been, we kind of been friends ever since. So yeah, it, it really worked out just a, a cold call 10 years ago to, yeah. for a, a weird, a weird bike and a weird trip. And, uh, yeah. And here we are today. <laughs> How about you, Chris? What's your What's your background? And like, uh, how, how did you come into the mix to be in the director of Stoke? Yeah, I uh, I made a I made a pivot in my career about five years ago. I was actually an industrial chemist and um, working in corporate America. And oh wow! And I would I was you know selling stories and, and writing um, blogs and making content for all my trips that I was doing, kind of like this ultimate weekend warrior type stuff, where you know do stupid things like fly to Iceland and try and ride across it. Right. And, uh, and I, and I got to know a lot of really great people in the bike industry on, on the media side. And I decided to take a year for me. Um, corporate America really burnt me out. And yeah. I was a pretty early adopter of social media and I was really, I'm still, am really into 
just utilizing those platforms and, and how it's the way of the future and how it's only growing more and more and mm -hmm. more. So I, I, I took my scientific brain and kind of applied that to social media marketing and started consulting um, and, and doing that. And uh, I ended up freelancing for a little bit and, and actually ended up at Industry 9. And that's how I found your channel. Oh, right on. When you when you did a, a, a review of uh, the Torch Hub, I think. And yeah, that was my my silence the haters one because everybody yeah. would be like. Apparently, there's like this like a religious thing about loud hubs and quiet hubs. Yep. And I didn't really realize that when I started my channel and I had nine nine hub in my my bike and it's like all these people like. Half of them would be like, that's the best hub. What is it? it? Sounds so good. And then the other half of the people would be like, oh my God, I don't want to watch this. This is the horrible, most worst channel because that hub is so loud and annoying. So I had like called I9 and was like, hey man, I was thinking about just doing this little project to see how to like maybe make it quiet to shut some people up. Right. And um, they're like, well, you could do this. It'll be quiet for like, a little bit <laughs> about 40 hours or so and you got oil leaking everywhere yeah yeah so it, loud. uh we yeah. uh, to be fair we're, we're still pretty big fans of i now we spec them on most of our bikes yeah so, yeah uh, and uh right yep and so we uh yeah i worked at i got a job kind of just like part-time at i9 doing their social media and it just grew into eventually being their director of marketing and cross paths with Adam again because he was doing Y cycles at the time and using inspecting I nine wheels on Y cycles. Mm -hmm. So he was like, uh, Hey, what, we should do a business trip. And I'm like, well, we, maybe we could go to Eurobike and we could yeah. ride instead, instead of like flying into industrial wasteland Germany and just like, you know, you know, spinning our gears and wishing we were riding we could fly into Zurich and spend three days riding from Zurich, Switzerland, over to Frederikshafen, Germany. Oh, right on. <laughs> and then this is like Eurobike's like the biggest trade show. Like you went to Interbike, Interbike yeah. which is a small version of Interbike, but imagine you know that two or three times is the normal Interbike. Eurobike, you walk in and it's like fifty times bigger than Interbike. Like it takes days just to walk around all the booths and and like. Chris and I have been to all those trade shows so many times. And the first few years you go, it's so fun. And you go out drinking every night and like you yeah. go see all these cool people and you go out for meals and you, you get business deals done at two in the morning at bars. And it's just this like magical thing. And after a few years of that, um, and I was coming out of college too. Like I, you know, I, I was, yeah, you're, you're set to go. Yeah. yeah I, <laughs> I, was, I was great at that stuff, but, but it starts kind of wearing, wearing on you a little bit. And, and the excitement is turns into more just kind of business and, and work. And so, yeah, Chris and I were talking and he, and he had the idea. He said, well, you know, we have to go to Eurobike. Why, why don't we just ride our bikes there? And I was like, oh, hell, hell yeah. That, yeah. It's way better than, <laughs> than the normal. That area that you just talked about riding. I mean, I've skied down in that area and it is just freaking beautiful down there. Like unbelievably beautiful. Stunning. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's, yeah. Like the sound, it's like the sound of music, you know, it's just yeah, like yeah. rolling green hills, especially in late August, or early September. It's just stunning. Yeah. So it, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, no, that's, that's awesome. That must have been a, a just a, a fantastic trip, you know. And cool. to paint the picture too for some of the people that are listening that haven't been to Interbike, it's not just like every bike brand that you can think of or like uh, clothing brand that has to do with bikes or something like that. There's like like a hundred booths of people that are just selling like ball bearings and like you know some guy that sells like the circuit board for the e-bikes and like you know it, it is like 
and this is the inner bike that I went to. I mean, they're saying the, the Euro bike's even bigger. So it, it was overwhelming to me to even realize that there was that much like other industry surrounding the bikes, you know, instead of just the bike companies themselves. So, and, and at the inner bike that I was at, they were saying was way scaled down compared to the old ones. And even that one, just as a person, you know, for the first time walking in there and walking around, I was like, Holy cow, this is, wow, there's a lot going on here. You know? Yeah. Eurobike is literally five airplane hangers. Wow. Filled. Like it's the, it's the old hanger, old hangers where they used to make blimps in world war two. Oh, there you go. Like it's a, the, the blimp, the blimp museum is right next door, you know? Right. So, yeah. So we, so we get to this crazy industry, you know, everything fest and Adam's like, oh, let's go to lunch tomorrow. I got something I want to talk to you about. And I'm like, you could have just called me. Like we, we've been riding for three days together. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he, uh, and he tells me about how uh, he's got this idea for uh, making carbon fiber mountain bikes with the CBF suspension platform and how he wanted me to be his marketing guy. And I was like, oh, shit i'm in like yeah right no questions asked like i, I knew the, i knew the power of of that of that canfield suspension and i've ridden it it's rise like nothing else and uh the fact that that he was i think you i think you had the licensing already by then yeah. and and uh the fact that he had the licensing for that suspension i was like yeah it's a no-brainer the world so needs let's, let's talk about that what's the what's the deal with that 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 suspension let's go ahead and explain what the cbf is i guess to start and then maybe where it came from and why you chose it? Yeah, I'll I'll I'll, I'll jump in there, and and I will say, that, you know, it's been a year of COVID and no bike events, so you know, normally I've got the super polished script because I, you know, go tell these. Oh, uh, dude, don't worry about it. <laughs> so, so, so bear, bear with me a little bit, but no, it's all right. It's, it's like the weird. If you look like you're stumbling, I'll just jump right in. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, per perfect, perfect. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah, I mean, in, in the bike world, there's, there's a few main suspension systems for, for full suspension mountain bikes. There's, you know, DW link, VPP, horse link, uh, single pivot, and, and then a whole bunch of variations. So just things. to kind of like, for people that aren't, aren't super bike, um, knowledgeable, like VPP would be like Santa Cruz, the DW would be Ibis pivot, uh, right. a few other, few and then other like things. giant, I think they're the, they're the the horse is that what they're using or? it's like a they call they every company has kind of a name for their suspension system but they all kind of fit into so one of a few categories so like yeah, yeah. Package, like giants like a maestro suspension uh basically basically horse link uh yeah. so it's a similar um trek has kind of their their version split pivot it, they're yeah. all fairly similar but they kind of fit into one of a few different categories and all that is and there's a whole bunch of you know marketing jargon around it and we do the same although i'd like to think we do you know less marketing fluff than, than a lot of companies but every suspension system is just trying to make it's trying to optimize um your rear wheel moving up and down over bumps in the trail uh and balancing that with your pedal forces and your braking forces so mm -hmm. every patented system or every trademark name or every fancy, you know, three letter word out there for bike suspension system is just trying to optimize. It's, it's, it's where all the pivot points are placed. And I guess for those on the video, you know, all these things right here on this bike behind me. Um, if you move all those by a millimeter or two here and there, it totally changes how that rear wheel moves up and down uh, on the trail. So mm -hmm. when I decided I wanted to make a carbon full suspension bike brand, I didn't want to just do another bike that was similar to all the other things out there. There's already a few, you know, bikes that use VPP, a few bikes that use DW. I didn't want to just do another one because the world doesn't, doesn't need that. So, um, I, I, 
I knew right, because then you would just be another company using the same suspension platform with different colors, and exactly. you know you're you're not really standing out. Yeah. So yeah, you're exactly right. So so I was at Interbike one year back. It's all coming full circle. It all comes back to Interbike. So I'm kind of really sad Interbike. Yeah anymore but um i went to inter interbike one year after i um had, i'd sold borealis in 2009 2015 um and i i wanted to start figuring out what suspension system i was going to use on this bike brand i didn't have a timeline in mind i just knew i wanted to make these carbon fall suspension bikes so um of, of all the bikes i rode I, I come from kind of a road racing cross-country background which is you know sometimes bad to say because i own a carbon mountain bike company now but yeah. um, <laughs> i i actually did i is a, you know, in high school, I, I, uh, you know, wore spandex and raced a whole lot and really liked going fast and climbing on a bike, which, uh, now I like going downhill on a bike more, but um, yeah. all the other suspension systems uh, that were popular out there, I felt that all of them could go uphill a little bit better. All of them sacrificed that pedal efficiency going uphill. So for me, that was a really important part was I wanted my full suspension bike to go uphill really well. And then a lot of the bikes that did go uphill. Well, they didn't go they they didn't go downhill as as well so when you grab the right. brakes you get some like brake jack or, or things just kind of felt different or the rear wheel wheel would hang up so i couldn't quite put a you know exact finger on the pulse of what was going on with all the different bikes but i just knew that of all the different high-end carbon mountain bikes i rode with those different suspension systems they just weren't quite they weren't quite exactly what i what i wanted um right so it's like you're you're not an engineer you're just a guy that's ridden a lot of bikes at this point that's like i think I want to find one that does both of these things well. Exactly. I'm not an engineer by any means. I'm lucky to work right. with engineers who are way smarter than I am. Um, I've spent a whole ton of time in, in carbon factories in, in Taiwan and China and Vietnam. So I have a good understanding of all of it. But when it comes to engineering now, that's, that, that's, that, yeah, that's yeah. Um, which is which is a huge part of how this business works. Is, is we were able to get just a ton of great people on the team to, to do all those things that I know right. how to do. But exactly. I just wanted to make a bike that, you know, I knew what I wanted. I just didn't know quite how to get there. So a friend of mine yeah. said, Hey, you got to go ride these Canfield bikes. They have their own suspension system. And I kind of thought, you know, those, those are like Red Bull rampage downhill bikes. You know, they're not, that's not the style I'm going for. I want to go uphill. And he said, you just, you know, we're at Interbike, we're at the demo days. There's every single bike you could imagine here to ride. Just go, just go ride them. Um, so yeah. thanks, thanks Ben for making me do that. And so I, I, I went to ride a Canfield bike and I, pedaled it like literally a hundred yards up the parking lot. And I thought, holy shit, this is it. This is exactly, this is everything that was missing out of all those other bikes and mm -hmm. went on a whole ride, um, at bootleg Canyon there, um, on a Canfield balance. And, and I came back and talked to, uh, Chris Canfield and said, can I license your suspension? And he said, yeah, sure. And I said, Okay, cool. You know, how's that work? And he said, I don't know. You know, let's talk about it. You, you, you know <laughs> and, and, like, you're my people. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> glad you don't know because I don't know how this works either. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was really like, I mean, that really kicked off the, the whole backbone for, for, for Rebel Bikes was having the suspension system. And I got on all these like Skype calls with Chris Canfield. Um, and he's just this suspension genius. He's also an incredibly good mountain biker. Um, and he had designed his own bikes for, you know, 18 years, lived in Taiwan. So he was just a great kind of, uh, supporter of me in the beginning. Um, and, and he had started a business when he was really young as well. So, um, we just, we just kind of kicked it off right away. And, mm -hmm. 
so so we'd sit on these Skype calls for like hours and he'd you know do all this math of like here's the suspension layout you could do and if you move this pivot point by two millimeters it's going to do this to how the bike pedals uphill and how you know if you move this pivot point a little bit over here then when you break you're you know it's going to feel really good it's going to feel really bad and so we, we spent hours on these calls kind of laying out so within the cbf suspension system there's a little bit of room to play with in there to really optimize it and it just so happened that this company that made more downhill focused bikes had a system that was incredible at going uphill so i thought great let's take this let's optimize it for super efficient pedaling but still have all that good stuff about going downhill and um did he ever say like why he like chose to do it that way instead of like kind of mimicking some of the other stuff just He's just the ultimate tinkerer. Like he's yeah. he's uh, evil genius isn't accurate. He's like the happy genius. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's yeah. He's, he's just amazing. Like if, if he was on this call right now, he'd, he'd hijack this and yeah. take take yeah. it for two hours and talk to you about pivot points and yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, That's the crazy thing about bikes. You know, it's like you can look at something on paper and be like, you know, oh, those two millimeters on the head tube, that's not what I'm looking for, you know, or, oh, uh, that, 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 uh, C2 or, or is a little taller than what I think or, and, and, but then you get on a bike and you ride it and it, it could be so different than what you expected, you know? Dead true. I always say, don't even look at geo charts or, or suspension graphs. And we have all that stuff on our website, of course, but yeah. You just got to go ride it because you, there's no formula. Like there's so many inputs into how a bike is going to ride that none of those graphs and numbers and charts will work, but you need that to get there. Yeah. You just yeah. can't buy a bike based off all that. I just don't have like maybe it in, in my soul or the, the time to put into getting the knowledge for it to actually all make sense. So I just like pick one thing and pretend like I know what the fuck I'm talking about. I'm like, oh yeah, dude, definitely need a 65 degree head tube angle, man. You know? That's kind of like the first year, the first year we launched, we, we kind of went after you guys, like people like you were like, let's just bring bikes to the people and let's yeah. go ride because it's a really noticeable ride difference. Yeah. Like and not even as a marketing guy, as a, as a mountain bike nerd for almost 30 years now, I, I remember getting on the first prototype that we did, and Snowmass Bike Park is just up the road, and we go every Tuesday night uh, as as a crew um, to go ride. We shut down a little early, and I got on one of the first prototypes, and I and I was like, is, "Do I have a flat tire? Like, what's going on?" Like, it was so it was so active braking. Like, I was used to grabbing a handful of brakes at the bike park and having it skitter and and skid everywhere. Mm -hmm. That like when I got on our bike, I was, it just tracked so perfectly. And I was like, holy shit, like, what is wrong with this thing? Is, did I break it already? Like, I know prototypes don't break, but, <laughs> and now it's just what I come to expect from, from, from any bike, but because, because of ours. And so, yeah, I, yeah, I love that shit. Yeah. The first time I heard of you guys, I mean, you guys know Jake from Project 321, the hub. He's, awesome. he's had one of your, your, your revels for a long time. And, uh, every time I'd go and hang out with him, he'd, be talking smack about the bike that I'm on because Jake's just really good at talking smack. So he really, he really is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he always be telling me about how much he loved that bike and how good it rode and stuff like that. So it, it and, and I remember the first time that I saw it, it there's a couple of bikes that in pictures don't ever do them justice as they do in person. And I feel like YT and you guys, like every time I've seen one of your bikes in person, I'm always like, man, that thing looks sweet like it looks really sweet and uh and, and i don't know what it is about that you know maybe it's just because the 
like when you're looking at a picture, you're looking at the suspension and there, there's a lot going on there in the, in the linkage, you know, and maybe that's what it is. But when you're seeing it in person, like, at least for me, uh, I think that whatever it is that, that I was thinking before is not, it's not, doesn't feel the same when I see it. It's one you of know? the challenges for me as the marketing guy, trying to get fo accurate photos of how beautiful the bikes are. Um, yeah. It's half, half gloss and half matte. And that's, almost impossible to capture in a photograph. Right, right. <laughs> See it in real life, you're like, whoa, what's going on there? You know, and then and then capturing all the curves and getting all the all the contrast just right in the in the photo studio is really challenging. So that's kind of like my goal to be obtained. Yeah. So like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, really, really what we did the whole first year, we launched and we had basically a year before COVID happened. And and we just got it on the road with a fleet of demo bikes and let people ride them. And and I can get into all the techie techie stuff behind the CBF suspension system, but really getting people to ride the bikes is the best thing to do. And then, uh, you know, we basically have had a year where we, where we don't get people on the bikes, So it's kind of a lot more like blind purchases and whatnot. And luckily word of mouth is really good. We've gotten some really good reviews out there. So, so, you know, customers are, are loving the bike, but, um, yeah, it's been an interesting couple of years of the different types of ways to show off our product. Yeah. There's a guy, he's actually, I saw him up in the, the comments here earlier that, um, named semi sendy he's got a, a youtube channel as well and he had recently purchased one of your rascals and uh that's where i saw that i didn't know that you guys had that short travel 29er because oh, i've been yeah, playing yeah. around with with wanting to buy one in my and um so i've been like thinking about what what bike i'd be interested in and i saw his video when he um he did did you guys very very good justice i think like yeah, it was a great video yeah and he had told me though like off off you know off the air or whatever he's like i'm i'm not lying like for a youtube sake or whatever he's like this bike is like one of the best bikes i've ever ridden so everybody i ever talked to has nothing to, but like good things to say so obviously you're you're pulling something off right there right well i i think if if you want to can jump into just just a little more of the technical stuff with that cbf suspension system yeah go for it um the 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 big thing that I think really seems to resonate um, is it a lot of other suspension systems. Uh, it basically everything's about your anti-rise and your anti-sag, and those are the technical terms for your pedal forces and your braking forces. And mm -hmm. it's really easy to make a suspension system pedal perfectly efficiently when you're on a flat road and you're not using that suspension and the, and the rear wheel isn't moving up and down. As soon as you get into a bumpy trail and you start going over over you know bumps and roots and rocks. Like yeah, then everything changes. And so working with Chris Canfield on our on our specific version of the CBF layout, um, we, we really want to keep that in mind. And that's something that he's really optimized with that system. So everything is about the center of curvature. And I'll try to show you on this is just my personal bike hanging up. I had to you know put something behind us. So there's not just a white wall. But right. everything is about a, a center of curvature right over the top of the chain ring. So the, um, the drive forces, the chain, are perfectly perpendicular to the axle path at 100% of the travel. And what that means is not just when you're at your 30% sag point, but as you you know bounce in and out from 10% to 90% to 100% of your suspension travel, your chain is always per pulling perfectly um, on the rear wheel. So all your power goes right into moving that wheel forward. Um, right, because so if, it, if it got a little bit closer, then your chain would lose some slack and you would lose a little bit of power. And if it overstretched it, then that's bad news for your chain. And that's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's when, you know, on a lot of bikes, you can you can look down and you can see when you pedal that the suspension moves a little bit. And you have to kind of be careful because some of that is just your body weight changing. But on a lot of bikes, it's the forces into turning that rear wheel around will actually affect 
your suspension and that just slows you down and you lose and you lose energy. So, um, but the big point is that hundred percent of the travel. And then the same thing is the, um, the anti-rise, your braking characteristics. When you're going down a steep hill and going, you know, on a rock garden, your, your rear wheels moving up and down on a lot of bikes, you grab that brake and it'll kind of fuck you over the handlebars or kind of pull you back. Um, and our goal is to have, um, hundred percent anti-rise at all points of the travel. And, and we accomplished that on, 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 all three of our bikes. So a big thing that people notice, um, we always say on a demo ride, find a super technical Rocky climb and a super technical Rocky descent and see how that bike reacts. And, and you don't feel it when you grab the brake, it does not affect the suspension, even while the wheel is moving, um, at, at all points in the travel. Um, mm -hmm. so I think that's the key thing is, is having those good characteristics, but at all points in the suspension travel. And I think that's what really sets our bikes apart from, from some of the others. So when you guys first started, you came out with the, it was like a 29er long travel. Is that what it was or? So we, we launched with uh, two bikes, um, the rail, which was 27.5 wheels and 165 millimeters of travel. And then uh -huh. the Pascal, which is this one, 29 inch wheels, 130 rear, 140 front. Oh, uh, okay. So one one forty one thirty on the and that's the rascal. That's the rascal, yeah. Okay. And, and then what's the ranger, which is one fifteen and the rear one twenty front. That's the one that the semi sendy guy. I said rascal earlier, and then I said the wrong name. So the ranger we, is. The we we mix them up all the time. It's kind of maybe. We, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Greatest <laughs> naming convention, but a little confusing sometimes. So, um, do you guys continue? Like, do you think you'll continue to have a twenty seven five and a twenty nine er? Well, we have we we have a lot of new bikes in in the works. I mean, we when when we launched, uh, we we sold out of our initial batch in like three days. I guess I was pretty bad at judging what the demand would be like, but um, the bikes were received very well, and we sold them a whole mm -hmm. lot faster than we thought. So um, we've kind of doubled down. We have a really good relationship with our with our manufacturer. Mm -hmm. um, we were able to kind of pick up the pace pretty quickly, um, but we did definitely kind of get get you know caught with more, more demand than expected. So, um, we've spent the last year and a half really, uh, investing in more and more development. So, uh, we're working on some new products, but the, you know, these, these, these bikes are, they're, they're incredible as it's funny, our rails, 27, five wheels, 165 millimeters rear travel, 170 front. And a lot of people hear that and they say, Oh, I don't want a 27, five bike or I don't want that much travel. And yeah, then, the travel is what shied me away initially. Cause I was like, Man, 170, that's a lot, you know? Yeah. I, and in my head, I was like, oh, it's going to be kind of sluggish. And I wish I would have threw a leg over one. I haven't, you know? We'll, we'll get you set up on one. But, but uh, <laughs> that's what uh, J Jake from Project 321 rides the rail. And yeah, and, and he rides it everywhere. And that's what, you know, every demo event we go to, people would say, I don't, I don't want to try that. It's got small wheels. It's got too much travel. Because you have these preconceived notions. And, I mean nine times out of 10 people would come back and say there's no way that bike has 170 millimeters of travel like yeah. it goes uphill so so well so you know it, it's kind of funny because i think the mountain bike industry has these trends and you know things that are popular maybe for valid reasons and, and maybe not and the 27.5 or 29 inch wheel thing is, is definitely one of those in, in, in my opinion um mm -hmm. uh, our, our rail 27.5 bike is definitely you know, I'd be lying if I said a lot of people aren't asking us for a 29 inch version of that. And that maybe at some point in the future, we very well might make that bike. Yeah. But yeah. I just, I always say, try riding it. You're going to be blown away at how well this bike goes uphill and downhill. It's so playful and poppy. So I'm, I'm personally a fan of the 27.5 wheel. So I, 
I um, I just feel like it, it has a little bit more of a, for lack of a better term, like flickability to it. It's just a little more responsive and in the like techie stuff, especially when you're in like the slow tech, you know, and that's stuff that I, I personally enjoy writing a lot. And um, 29ers have definitely come a long way as well. So, but my initial feeling was I, I always kind of felt like the 29ers picked the lines a little bit more than you did. And um, so that's why maybe because I had like VMX when I was younger or something like that, but the 27.5 just appeals to me. But I definitely will say that as these, as companies, you know, continue to develop the 29er and the frames build around them and, you know, things are changing that they're definitely becoming a lot more appealing, you know? So yeah. it's, uh, it, it's, it's getting harder to tell the difference, but if there was a way to ride like a bike blind, you, you know what I mean? Like, that's three, four years ago. I could have definitely told you, yep, that was a 29er. Yep. That was a 27.5, you know? And, and now you're getting on and you're like, man, that steering's like dialed. That's like pin in the corner and you're okay. Well, I'm not yeah. sure. You know? No, that, but the blind testing is huge. I always urge people before they ride a bike to, you know, almost not, it's, it's almost better if you don't look at all the specs and the wheel size and the travel and the geometry, because you get yeah. an idea in your head and it can kind of skew your, your opinion. But I mean, I do that. So it's like, you know, yeah, who's to say, but um, I, I mean, it, it, the, the problem with mountain biking is in a perfect world where all of us would own like five or six bikes, you know, one, one for every possible type of riding. So right. <laughs> yeah. I'm just stoked. My kids finally are like moving out. So I'm like, sweet. That means your bike comes <laughs> off the wall. And I can ride <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they all have their place. I mean, the, this bike is my rascal. This is our mid 29 inch wheels, mid travel. It is, it is, you know, I, I hate to overuse the term quiver killer, but it, it is, if you have to choose one bike, this bike's amazing. It just does everything really well. We have guys like uh, Chris said, every Tuesday, uh, snow mass 25 minutes up the road, has, they keep their chairlifts running till, till the sun goes down and they have a Tuesday night downhill race. And it's like a $5 entry, really unofficial thing, but there's a lot of really fast people in this area. So we always go up and do those races. And, and um, last year there's six races, three of them were won by one of our guys who does all of our inventory purchasing, Matt. Um, and he was riding the, the rascal. And then the other three were, were, one by some other people and some of them were on a rail some were on a ranger like the bikes are so mm -hmm. capable all around so this bike can handle full-on like you know bike fast park. downhill bike park stuff uh, but it's also a great everyday riding bike for you know long days at you know you know above mm -hmm. tree line 12,000 feet around here in colorado the rail's super playful poppy fun and then the ranger is just fast i mean 115 mils of travel it's light mm -hmm. fast um and it also packs a lot more punch than it than it sounds so i think all the bikes are kind of surprising in their in their own way. Yeah. I'm obviously I'm biased and I'm like, can't wait to get back out on the, on the road and show people our bikes and let them actually ride them. Cause I can, yeah. I can say it great all day long, but it's always better. When, when someone yeah. Rides. Yeah. So. Well, I, I think, you know, sea otter is supposed to happen this fall and judging by the way everything's gone with the vaccines and stuff, I'm assuming that's going to come through as long as like, whatever the next, you know, variant of, of, of lock the fucking world down doesn't change everything again. So hopefully we can keep our fingers crossed and knock on wood and that'll happen. And then, um, I think in the, also in the late fall, then you got, uh, um, Sedona as well, coming back around. So those are our two events on the calendar right now. Uh, yeah. with the uh, Rome fest, the, the ladies mountain bike festival in Sedona the week before. Oh, right on. Festival, so yeah, when so is that? Sea otter will be our first, uh, our first venture into the world. So. Yeah, yeah. 
have you guys done a sea otter before oh yeah oh yeah 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 that place is crazy too man i mean that like as a consumer to go in there and just you're you're like to me it's like a little bit of like sensory overload because it's like so many freaking brands and bikes and things to look at it's a trade show that's kind of what interbike used to be and uh maybe it added to the demise of interbike because you kick off the season with sea otter and it's a full-on trade show you're making deals you're having those dinners but you're also racing and and you're outside in california weather and everybody's stoked because they're riding around there's trails to ride they're not the best trails but they're still trails yeah you know it's like no such no such thing as bad pizza like (laughs) and, and you get to ride at a trade show which is really novel for us where we're normally like locked up in, you know, in a Vegas convention center or something and yeah, yeah. airplane hangar in Germany. And so like, it's really just so fun just to stand, you know, be outside, talk to consumers and like have the sun hit your face. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. We're a fan. So. Yeah. It definitely takes a minute to like, of walking around though, until you're like, okay, now I know where I'm at. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> you're like, I thought I made the right turn over there, but nope, I didn't. <laughs> you know? it, it's been crazy. The last couple of years as those traditional trade shows died down. Sea Otter, it's always been huge. I, I went there to, you know, race bikes when I was like 13 years old uh-huh. and then to come back and be there, you know, behind the booth on the business side of the equation and see, and see what's happened to it. It's just incredible. But I mean, the last couple of years there we've had, you know, journalists from all over the world, from, you know, countries that I never even knew were popular for mountain biking, you know, pe- people come there and, and it's really become kind of this international business show as well as just the most fun place. I mean, we, we go there and plan on basically not sleeping, you know, get up early, get a ride in before the trade show uh, yeah. talk to all day long, go out for dinners, you know, it, it's, if anybody has not been to Seattle, I highly recommend it for all reasons related to bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 definitely a lot of fun, and you don't even need to take your bike as a person that's <laughs> going down there. I mean, last when I went last time, I didn't even take a bike because I I just knew how much time I was going to spend just walking around. By the end of the day, it's like, dude, I'm just going to drink beer with everybody else. I'm cool. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like you know, I, at one point I was like chomping on a hot dog, watching Danny McCaskill do a show, and then behind me is like a pro road race going around the track like you know this is crazy this is like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i know and then uh, to, for me i just i really love the sedona mountain bike festival it's just um it's that it's like the right amount of people versus vibe versus like beer and music you know like yeah i think because there's so much good riding like right from the fest as well we chose it, it to people. for that reason you know we we actually became revel at sedona mountain bike festival like it's uh-huh. just at the right place to show the world our our bikes and then people could read about it on pink bike in the morning and then come to the festival and hop on a bike and ride it and it was yeah it was it was so great so that's a special place for us <clears throat> yeah yeah it's kind of like the running of the bulls in the morning though <laughs> they open that gate at like eight and it's you know whatever a thousand mountain bikers like sprinting through the the fest trying to get to whatever brand it is that they want to ride it was pretty awesome so when we launched at sedona fest and it was february 28 of 2019 Uh um, uh, chris set all this stuff up sent out all these press releases about what we'd been doing and the new bikes we were coming out with and like i didn't sleep for like weeks leading up to this i was so nervous about like I mean, I had invested like every dollar I had plus a whole bunch of other people's money and I right. out credit cards. I did the whole thing like where I'd get a Delta credit card with a 70,000 
mile airline bonus so that I could use that bonus to, you know, go to China to visit our factory to, yeah. to, to, to make sure the bikes were all being made. Right. And so yeah, Rob Peter to pay Paul, right? <laughs> exactly. It was, it was a fun, fun time, but, but real, real tense. And so everything was leading up to the Sedona bike fest and this article went live, but it was pink bikes review of the rebel rail. Mm-hmm. Uh, it went live like the afternoon, the night before, you know, the next morning and we were setting up our booth and it was, you know, and we were camping because like, we didn't want to spend money. And I was so nervous about, you know, are people going to like all these bikes? I liked them, but yeah, I don't know if everyone else would. And, um, and so I like, I, Chris said, okay, Hey, the pink bike articles live. And so I like went and found a little tree, you know, step away from setting up the booth and sat under this tree and was like hiding. And I, and I was like shaking and reading my phone of, you know, the article of, of, uh-huh. of the, the pink bikes review of the rail. Cause they have such a big voice in the, in the bike world. And if they, yeah, they can make or break a product. Yeah, uh, definitely. And, uh, and I sat there reading it and the first few sentences were good and I kind of relaxed. And then the next few were really good. And then, I mean, the end of the review said this was like their, one of their favorite bikes of all time and they loved it. And how could this brand new small company that no one's ever heard of, you know, come out with such a good bike. And I was just like, amazed. And then the yeah. next morning we launched, like you said, there's that running of the balls and yeah. you know, a thousand mountain bikers, they all ran right past our booth. Not, no, no, one, no. <laughs> no one stopped at our booth. <laughs> and then it was back to that same thing where I was like, damn, no one, no one wants our bikes. But at, like, but at, the, same, <laughs> but at the same time, then we're back underneath that same tree trying to figure out why our website keeps crashing yeah. and like trying to get more, you know, more space on our server because like our, like it was a marketing guy nightmare. Cause like you right. can't market things if you don't have a website. And right, so yeah, right. it, was, it was a really, I'm like all like, uh, uh, triggered. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, Oh yeah. my God, that was so stressful. <laughs> PTSD <laughs> from it. Yeah. PTSD for sure. Yeah. It was, it's been a hell of a ride, man. It's really been amazing. It's like, it's like, emotionally overwhelming sometimes yeah. like that like wow like we, we we're kind of doing it day, day two at the trade show there's 100 people in line to ride our bikes so it was <laughs> and and since then it's been it's just been a freaking wild well ride. you know news travels fast and especially in an environment like that you know some guy let's just say he he did the sprint and he was too slow to get to the yeti booth in time right and he's yeah. like well i guess i'm gonna go try this other thing and then he goes and rides it and he's like holy shit dude he goes and tells all his buddies, you guys need to check this shit out, you know, and, and, and that happens quick, you know, especially at Sedona too. Cause it's like, it's small. So it's really easy for that word to travel quickly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it It was a good time. We actually, we just, uh, not just last summer, we came out with a new color rascal. Um, and it's called the Sedona. It's a Sedona colored bike. So uh-huh. it's kind of a, you know, just a little uh, nod, so net, a little yeah. Sign of appreciation to what Sedona's done for us. Right so. on, man. That's super cool. I like that. that. That's a that's a good uh good little tidbit of information to know, you know. Yeah. So, um, Adam, you were doing these like uh carbon um, fat bikes. So, is that where you really got to know the carbon industry, so that you could make like how do you make the decision of how, where to source your, your frames at when you're deciding to do Revel? That, that's a good question and probably something we could have a whole, you know, 10 hour podcast discussion. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I, I, I've never had a great answer to that question um, because I think there's a lot of different levels to it, but yeah. How do you figure out how to make a carbon bike? Holy hell. That's, you know, um, it, it, it took me several years. So, 
Uh, I've always liked traveling and, you know, whether anyone likes to admit it or not, the best carbon bikes are made in China. Um, mm-hmm. They've been doing it for years. They're incredibly good at it. There's multiple factories there that'll do a very good job of making carbon bikes if, mm-hmm. if you know the right people and if you know how to ask them the right questions. So um, with Borealis, yeah, I decided, hey, let's make a carbon bike. Um, I found a, you know, did a bunch of internet research and found all these factories. And, and I was in college at the time and took a little bit of time off and got a just flew to China for three weeks, which is a really long time to be in China. And I just went to 10 different factories, all the different factories I could find. And it was amazing mm-hmm. to see some that were really good. And you could tell, hey, there's, you know, I recognize that bike. That's, you know, XYZ brand that you see on the floor of a bike shop. Yeah, yeah. And then some factories, you're like, whoa, there's a Pinarello and a Cervelo and zip wheels. And, you know, it's they're full on knockoffs, like full on fake products with no test labs or anything like that so yeah. i got a pretty good idea there and I, I chose one factory to work with at borealis and that was a fantastic learning experience um and then through borealis i found a lot of uh, a lot more factories and i just made a ton of really great contacts in the industry uh, a few of the guys from envy composites jason shears and Joe Sanish, uh were really really helpful to me they were making the absolute best carbon fiber products uh, wheels specifically in america at the time mm-hmm. uh, and also working overseas in china and uh, somehow, you know, those guys were just helpful and gave me a lot of contacts. And it's everything's kind of about who you know, not what you know. Um, yeah. And I don't have an engineering degree. I've watched a ton of YouTube videos, you know, pirated SolidWorks to try to learn how to model stuff and <laughs> then learn that it's better to hire people that are, that are trained. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so when I decided to start um, Revel, CBF was one part of it, but a major, major part that isn't really ever talked about is where is it going to be made and and, and how is it going to be made? And, and that's yeah, because if you I mean, you could have a, a perfect design, but if you have shitty materials, you're screwed. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Oh, yeah. That kept me awake a whole lot, too. Is, yeah. Uh, we had a good design. We had, you know, fantastic suspension layout. Jeremiah Starkey did a great job on a ton of the mechanical engineering part of it. Uh, we did, you know, got really good artwork. You know, we, we had all those pieces of the puzzle. And then um, I ended up just spending, you know, for, for years, I'd fly to, you know, fly to Asia uh, once a month, sometimes more, sometimes less to check in on this. And, and so I went to a factory that I had some contact with, presented my idea. And, you know, I was pretty young and walking into this factory and you know i've always felt incredibly welcome when i've worked in asia and china specifically there's all sorts of bad uh, Mm -hmm. ideas of what it's like to work there but if you choose a good factory and they're good people it's it's if i didn't have the relationship with our main factory that i did we wouldn't have rebel bikes right now they really rolled out the red carpet for me you know a young kid no engineering degree with kind of like, Hey, here's my idea to make these two bikes. Can you help me? Uh-huh. And, um, and this factory just did an incredible job. And I, and I chose a factory after visiting a lot that, uh, they kind of did everything right. They have about 500 workers there. They have a full organic farm on the property. All the workers are fed three organic vegetarian meals every day. Uh, they have mm-hmm. better maternity leave than most places in America. They just kind of do everything right. Mm-hmm. And they make really high quality products and they're really willing to work with me. So um, as I grew and throughout the development process, I had a lot more help. Uh, Jeremiah Stark is our COO and head of engineering. And he uh, really helped working with the factory to kind of improve little processes and techniques here and there. Jason Shears, the original founder of Envy, he came over there with me at one point to help with carbon layups. So um, really the the strong relationship with a good quality factory is, is just such an important part of making a good bike. And I feel like we really nailed that one and did a great job and i feel quite lucky about it 
But I spent a whole lot of time on airplanes and buying weird food and drinking a lot of uh, rice rice flavored liquor and uh, (laughs) you know how to I could tell stories for hours about all the stuff over there. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. So you guys only you have one one version of your carbon frame. It's not like you have like a like a Santa Cruz like here's the cheap version and here's the more lighter expensive version. It's it's one one layup for your frame, right? Yeah, and and um. uh, some reasons for that is we're just not that big of a company. So I figured we can only make one. Let's make the best, the best. Yeah. Is, yeah. Is there's not a big difference at, at times between all those, you know, the expensive part for carbon, one of the expensive parts is your mold that there's a big chunk of steel that weighs as much as a car that, you know, presses out the front, the front triangle. And and so for a lot of brands, they'll have that one set of molds and then use differing qualities of materials to make those two different levels of carbon. And I just thought that's too confusing. We're in this to make, the best bikes let's let's just use one yeah yeah totally so um i the main reason i asked that question because i really just wanted to lead into you guys built this bike it's getting great reviews and then you decide you're gonna do a wheel (laughs) (laughs) what 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 was it that made you like feel like you you needed to do that and then if you want to as well let's go ahead and start there (laughs) yeah why the wheel Why, why a wheel? Um, same thing as the bikes. I, you know, my goal is to make all the is make all the bike parts. Like I, I like everything on a bike. If we can do something better than another company, we're we're gonna make it. But there's no timeline or urgency there. We're just gonna wait till we we know we can do it better. Um, you, it's pretty easy to go make a carbon wheel in in China or Taiwan right now, and a lot of companies do it. It's it's kind of a. Uh, it's pretty easy to go make another carbon wheel. I'll I'll, I'll leave it at that. But yeah. Uh, uh, wheels are such an important part of the overall ride. You know, besides a frame, wheels are absolutely the next most important thing you can do. Oh, mm-hmm. there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is why we work together well. <laughs> um, only that. He is the director of Stoke. So for those of you guys that are listening, he's just passing beers over. So <laughs> <laughs> definitely keeps the Stoke. <laughs> so so um, a friend of mine uh, by the name of Joe Stanish, he was um, one of the main executives at NV Composites. Uh, I actually started Y-Cycles Rebel Bikes out in Ogden, Utah. I was living there for a little bit. A great place to start a business. I wanted to move to Carbondale, Colorado. That's where we're based now. So um, when I was living in Ogden, I met Joe and we kind of had like every week we'd sit on his porch and have a beard and talk about making bikes and the bike industry and all this good stuff. And so again, I just feel really lucky to have been able to have so many good good people like that, that, that helped me out. So, uh, when NB sold, uh, Joe left a year or two later, I think, and started working on this new material. He's, he was a composites expert. He worked at RockShox, SRAM, um, mm-hmm. has just loads of experience making things out of not just carbon fiber, but composites. And so through our talks of me telling Joe, Hey, I'm working on making these rebel bikes. Joe is kind of saying, well, I'm working on kind of making this other, this other, uh, material. And, um, sort of always had this understanding of, Hey, let's, you know, let's make a wheel out of it. Um, and Joe was one of the first people to buy a rebel bike before we even launched. And I thought Joe was just being nice and supporting me and wanted to buy a bike. And he, yeah. he's, he his whole family has them now. He has a couple of them and, and he, he's actually an ex world cup racer was sponsored by Santa Cruz back in the nineties. So just a re- really yeah. interesting guy, fantastic biker and genius at composites. So, um, when Joe was telling me about this new material they were working on, it, it really kind of sparked my interest to make a, a wheel out of it. Um, again, let's do something a little different and better if we can. 
And this new material, basically, it's it's a, it's basically a fancy um, type of thermoplastic um, on steroids. So carbon fiber, traditional carbon fiber, what all of our bikes are made out of, what all carbon bikes and wheels out there are made of, besides our wheels, um, is a mix of carbon fiber strands and epoxy. And depending on the blends of those and the types is how you get different grades and levels and stiffnesses and flexibility and all that stuff. Right. This new material that Joe's working on, which is um, trademarked named fusion fiber, is basically there's no epoxy in there. It's a it's a nylon PA6 is the bonding agent. And nylon, if you think about it, is basically a fancy plastic and plastic is flexible. So traditional carbon wheels that are made with carbon and epoxy. Um, think of epoxy. It's the same stuff you use, you know, glue for anything around the, the house. When it dries, it's very brittle and you can crack it in half. So um, a lot of traditional thermoset carbon, which is traditional carbon fiber wheels, um, are fairly brittle. When you smack into a rock, they'll break and a crack can really propagate. This fusion fiber material has no epoxy in it and the bonding agent is a flexible plastic. So it kind of the main thing is it's a really good ride quality. It kind of dampens the ride on a kind of, you know, millimeter mm -hmm. level. The wheel will flex up and down just a little bit. Um, can you can you change the way that that flexes like by layups or like you can with regular carbon? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you okay. can make it super stiff or you can make it a noodle. Like any, anything anything you want in between. And it's generally, a, it's a stronger material, um, you know, all else being equal than carbon fiber and you can build a stronger wheel with it. So uh, I, I was we started riding these prototypes and we were really excited about the ride quality and then through these conversations with joe um early on before we were you know fully in it he said oh you know and by the way um this material is completely recyclable <laughs> i was like what you, you know like actually recyclable and like yeah you chip it up and remake it into something else and so that's when we we kind of went full gas and thought this is going to be the future you know let's get let's make these wheels and let's prove that they're truly recyclable because part of what we want to do is you know be a little bit more environmentally friendly everywhere we can uh -huh. um, traditional carbon fiber manufacturing is not the greatest thing for the environment and i say that you know we still make traditional carbon fiber bikes um right. and we work with a factory that upholds very high standards for cleanliness and, and yeah, yeah. all that good stuff. But if there's something we can do to be a little bit better than, you know, everyone else uh, and make the world a better place, we're going to do it. So um, after we launched these wheels, we actually came out with uh, our very first product made out of the recycled um, material scrap and broken Tesla wheels and all that stuff, which was an entire lever. Um, just oh, cool. that the product is actually recyclable. Um, mm -hmm. So for us, we have the left hand warranty on the wheels. If customer breaks the wheel while riding, which, you know, carbon wheels will break people smash rocks real hard um we you know 100 covered and we get that wheel back we take that rim we peel the vinyl decals off we send it through this big old chipper and we get all this you know little chipped up um thermal uh, uh, fusion fiber material melt it down and then it can be turned into all sorts of other stuff so we're just starting to really work on that one step well, that's really cool yeah we're really proud of that it re it's really cool like the, there's no reason it, it feels really good there's no reason that this rim ever has to see a landfill like you yeah. send it back to us it's gonna get uh, constantly turned into something else you know and 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 that that feels real good because there's a lot of carbon fiber rims and landfills right now so. so you ship that product back to china and then they re-engineer re oh. it or you guys do it to like you're, you guys are making the levers there in in colorado it's actually the factory is based in southern utah so it's about four hours away from oh, us okay. in carbondale everything's made in america um 
which is pretty neat. I don't have to stay up uh, late at night talking to factories yeah. in a different time zone. And they do they do a great job. So, um, yeah, we have to drive right past Moab to get to factories. So it's pretty neat, pretty neat place. Right on. I'm interested to see how you react to this. As soon as I heard of that product that you guys were building the wheel out of, I was like, why aren't they building a frame? Very uh, understandable. <laughs> you know, to, to start with this new material, um, what's the hardest thing to make through the rim? You know, and so we figured we'd start there. That's where the literally where the rubber meets the road, and and the tolerances are so tight, and the impacts are so strong. So yeah, it was a good place to start. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's lighter than carbon, right? It, so the material weighs the same, but because it, it can be made to be stronger, then you can technically make a product that is lighter than carbon because it's stronger. So right, right, right. That, right. that gets into engineering speak of, yeah, right. the quick answer is yes, it's lighter than carbon. Yeah. So so the, the short answer of whether or not I get the yes or the no, I would assume that this is going to happen in the future by somebody. Somebody's going to use this product and make a frame out of it. It's definitely a new type of manufacturing process. Um the material is one thing, but the process is really cool. It takes like uh -huh. 20 seconds to cure a rim instead of 45 minutes like traditional carbon fibers. So just the energy um, and resources used to make the product is quite a bit less. So that has, uh, you know, quite a big environmental um, impact as well. But uh, uh, companies like Airbus or Airbus Wing of the Future is made out of a similar type of material. Uh -huh. um, it's definitely a new type of material that we're, our whole world is going to see for everything, you know, aerospace. Yeah. Um, it's pretty neat to walk around the factory where these wheels are made and see um, products made for a, uh, things that are a whole lot more technical than, <laughs> than just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the the marketing kind of spin that I heard on the wheels whenever people talked to me about them, they were just like that they they had a little give in them, and because of that, it made the ride quality a lot better. But you didn't lose that rigidity that you're used to with the carbon wheel set. Is that is that pretty accurate? Yeah. That's that's a really good way to boil it down. The ride quality is fantastic. It's a nice, uh, quiet, damp ride. It's not so much, you know, big movement, but it's just kind of a small level. Just instead of getting a real brittle, like, you know, crack when you pop a rock, it's a nice, it just kind of quiets the whole ride down. And one thing we really take pride in is having quiet riding bikes. You know, all the cable riding is, it's not just a loose cable in the frame that can rattle or a loose hose. Mm -hmm. Molded into the inside of the frame, and so we try to do all these things to make the bikes just nice and quiet and high quality feeling. And the wheels definitely add to that. And the wheels can go on our bikes or any bike. We sell them aftermarket, rim only, complete wheels. Um, mm -hmm. It's a nice riding wheel. It's very durable. We have a fantastic warranty uh, uh, process where which 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 most carbon wheel brands do because carbon wheels sometimes have you know people smack them but the neat thing about that is that wheel will then never see a, a landfill will get turned into another product. and you make a 29 or a 27.5 do you make a, a a gravel wheel too or we make uh we have currently one model of wheel called the revel rw30 so 30 mil rim uh we have it in 29 inch 29 inch and 27.5 inch um and th this is live but on tuesday we'll be coming out with another another product in that lineup of wheels. so keep your eyes open then huh yeah all right well, that's exciting it is pretty exciting that's why i'm working on a sunday <laughs> yeah right yeah yeah we don't yeah, have I, to here. <laughs> I went down to um um Sedona for the same time that the fest would have been and so i did some riding there and then i recently did a a video and I was going through looking for some B-roll for what I was putting together. And I had actually had film of, of your wheels. I was 
taken some some stuff of whenever you guys were showing that at at uh at Sedona last year not so not not this year but the year before I think yeah. that and I think that was like right when you launched the wheels was right around then yeah so and we actually we were actually in Sedona at that same time too we we, we figured <laughs> we probably saw you on the trail <laughs> probably right <laughs> we figured if there, if there wasn't a, a festival we should probably be there and, and just to honor our, yeah, yeah. our kind of birthday as a company right right yeah it's kind of how we were it's like well things are chilled out enough that we can go and feel safe about going and like uh, still have a good time and i just i don't know i i i really like riding down there it, yep <laughs> one of my friends another create content creator he he lives down there and he was saying you know it's like his favorite place and i, I would say that i wouldn't want to ride there all the time but it's definitely fun for for to go whenever you go for the fest and stuff like that. It's it's very different than what I'm used to riding here, which I would imagine is kind of closer to what you guys do, where it's like big long climbs, big long descents, you know. And there, it's just like I, we I, we make a joke. It's like you know you uh, you climb down the downhill in in, in Arizona. Yeah, climbing down. <laughs> I, I live most of my adult life in Arizona, and so I'm pretty partial to the state, and that's kind of why. I, one of the, maybe one of the underlying reasons why I swayed the, the launch to my home turf, but, yeah, yeah. but you know, <laughs> it didn't Ari take much convincing. I really <laughs> like it. <laughs> Arizona is so incredibly diverse. I, I have, a, I have a little cabin down by the Mexico border and the riding down there is so completely different than even Phoenix or Tucson or, yeah. or Flagstaff. And there's really just, it's kind of like the ultimate bike testing ground. If you just had to take one state, you can pretty much hit everything except for a lot of mud. But yeah, you gotta wait long enough to get mud. But yeah, my son was in uh joined the military and he was in school down in southern Arizona. I was down that way, it's pretty crazy looking down there. I can imagine, yeah, I'm actually really close to that. To that, yeah, okay, school area, yeah. Right so, the, uh, yeah, it's uh, we call them Sedona miles because like you, you get done with that ride, and you're like, man, that was a really great 40 mile ride. Then you look at your computer and you're like, 12, like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely know the feeling. There's a place like that locally that we ride, and it's like. You're in like an hour or whatever, and you're like, man, I'm feeling like freaking dusted already. And you look at your Garmin, and you're like two and a half miles, and you're like, this is ridiculous, man. <laughs> I never I really feel mileage. the same way whenever I'm in. Mileage, like, you're like, mileage is depressing sometimes, <laughs> right? Right. So actually, I just saw a really good question pop up here from from the people in the comments, and they're asking, "Is Revel bikes available in Europe?" Yeah, this has been one of the coolest things for us. Again, started this brand at. Launched at Sedona, camping in the in the trade show parking lot in my van, and and uh, uh, the goal is, of course, that always eventually these bikes would be available worldwide. But it, it was a matter of months, you know, when we were getting uh, hit up by distributors all over the world to sell our bikes. So yeah, now um, very proud to say we have a very strong distribution in most uh, major countries in the world. So depending on where you are in Europe, there should be a bike shop or a distributor. Uh, uh we have a strong distributor in the UK called Cyclerize, a uh, great bike shop in, uh, Norway called Girocycle. We, that was a really rough business trip. We had to go to Oslo and ride, uh, yeah. uh ride bikes all, all over that city yeah, right. <laughs> to, to, to visit those guys. Can't, can't wait to go back. Just so you um, know, there's shuttle runs in the middle of Oslo, Norway, that you take the commuter train to access. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's amazing. Incredible place to ride bikes. Um, Norway is another very beautiful country. I've been up in the Arctic Circle there, and it's just amazing. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's insane. Super fun. <laughs> so, yeah, you can, if you go on our website, rebelbikes.com, 
click on the how to buy tab based on which country you're in in Europe, there should be a place to buy that bike. There's all sorts of tax laws that I'm learning every day um, where certain countries it's easy to buy a bike from certain countries it isn't but go on that website if you don't see it listed there you can just send us a, a email on that contact form we have a whatsapp on there as well send us a text message and we will let you know how you can get a bike in europe but the short answer is absolutely you will be able to get one whether it's from us or from a distributor um right on man what um how how has the covid situation affected you guys for i mean you're talking about launching new products and like ramping up on how many bikes you're selling meanwhile it's like you know go to the bike shop and they'll get you a new one i wondered if you're gonna ask about covid <laughs> um what a, what a crazy summer yeah yeah right <laughs> probably a few more beers i drank here to, to figure out those challenges than than in a normal year um yeah covid's been bizarre for the bike world it, the, I feel extremely lucky. Uh, obviously, a lot of businesses have had a very hard time during COVID. And I think most of the outdoor industry and specifically the bike industry has in general um, uh, been on the lucky side of, of all that as more people want to get outside. Um, however, we've seen a higher demand because of COVID, but our, our brand has already grown like crazy. We couldn't keep up with orders, couldn't keep up with demand. COVID hit for about two weeks in there. I thought we were going to go out of business and have to lay everyone off. And then about, a you know, Two weeks later, everything came right back, and 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 I, and I feel feel very lucky. Um, but the main thing that's happened is the supply chain has just been absolutely ravaged. Um, factories in Asia will uh, our factory is fairly rural; it's far from cities, so our factory itself um, has been not too affected by COVID. But they have to buy raw material from tons of different factories, you know, raw mm -hmm. carbon uh, bearings, bolts, uh, paint, you know, decals. Uh, Every little you know factory that had a COVID outbreak was shut down for a few weeks, if not more. Uh, so, so the supply just got really slowed down. At the same time, that in general the bike industry saw higher demand. A lot of that higher demand uh, within the bike industry was for lower end bikes um, or more entry level bikes, I should say. As consumers, yeah. maybe in New York City, said, "Well, I can't take a subway, so I'm going to go buy a $500 bike to, to ride around." All um, right. But a lot of those components on those bikes are made in the same factories that components are made in that go on our, you know five thousand to ten thousand dollar bike so um in general supply has been very very challenging and at the same time as our our demand is just booming so it's pretty rough right now I, I, more i just feel bad you know people will call and ask for a bike and, and like a gx complete bike we can't ship oftentimes till september or october of this year um you know that's really bad and that's you know i hate having to give people that bad news that you can't get you know can't celebrate new bike day soon um but it's almost people almost say well that's actually better than a lot of other of your competitor brands. So, uh, the standards are, you know, in general, it's tough to get a bike this year. Uh, we're doing everything we can to move that up and to try to get more parts and more frames. We're actually pretty good on our, um, frame manufacturing. It's just a matter of getting, you know, shocks and forks and derailleurs and all that stuff to, to make a complete bike, to ship that bike out the door. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, def it's definitely been interesting. I, I know I was listening to a little interview with the, the, um, I think the CEO of Santa Cruz and he was saying like, even at one point they got pushed back even farther because they had bikes that they could sell or they, they could, you know, ship or whatever, but then they couldn't get cardboard to put, put them in, yep. you know, it was like something that small where you didn't like, I didn't even think about it. It's like, Oh crap. It's like, okay. Yeah. They got all the parts and now you yeah. can't even put in a box. I've heard <laughs> rumors of thousands of bikes waiting for chains or seat, seat collars, you know, like, the most 
little tiny things, but they're all, every every piece is important to the bike. Just to, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely been interesting too, because um, I mean, not just trying to get whatever you need to be, you know, to continue riding. You know, I I had a hell of a time finding brake pads recently, where it was like. Whenever I finally finally found some, then I got like that that hoarder kind of mentality. I'm like, I'm buying another set, man, because yep. I don't know how long this is going to go on. And, not, and I, I think mean, that's like an ex that you should totally buy another set of brake pads. I've been doing the same thing for all my personal <laughs> spare parts, and I'm riding on tires that I would definitely replace if it was easy for me to buy another set of tires. Right. I think a little bit of it's kind of like the toilet paper mentality when COVID first hit. And I think that's kind of making the supply problem worse. And I'm really hoping a ton of people out there and a ton of businesses are buying more than what they need. And then we're going to see some, some, some things start to improve sooner rather than later. Um, yeah. Cause it's, it's, it, it's weird. Out there. That podcast with Joe Graney from Santa Cruz is fantastic. He's a great guy. His, his descriptions of the supply chain issues were very accurate in what we're seeing yeah. as well. You know, on one hand, it's, it's, I think in the long term, it's going to really help um, for sure our business and probably the whole bike industry. I feel like our business has grown, you know, 10 years worth in the last six months. And we have a fantastic team of people here that have, um, we implemented a whole super fancy ERP software system. Um, we're planning out purchases for years in advance. We're doing all this planning and analytics and really taking this, you know, big, big business approach to a, you know, to a smaller business problem. Uh, and, and, and I think in the long term, this short term supply crunch is going to going to help us out and, and we're all going to do better, but we just got to get through <laughs> these next few yeah. I was reading this thing the other day I, I thought it was pretty interesting too where they did talk about the surge in the the entry level bikes and you know a lot of people you know to them that was to somebody that doesn't ride mountain bikes like spending a thousand dollars on a bike is a significant purchase yeah. we're like us that are in into like already into the addiction, we're like a thousand bucks. What are you thinking? Real, <laughs> right? You know, but but those people, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of them that bought a bike just because of COVID, and maybe whenever their gym opens back up or whatever, that they their bike just sits in the garage and collects dust, or on a sudden you see a big surge on on like pink bike and Facebook Marketplace, people selling them. But on the other hand there is going to be a certain percentage of all those new riders that now have the like the upgrade itis that we all get. Right. Yep. So that's going to play into 2022 as well, where it's like these guys that bought the thousand dollar bike or the old used bike from somebody else. And now next year they're like, Hey, I want this new geometry because the bike I bought is, is eight years old. And I didn't know that, <laughs> that, that things changed, you, you know what I mean? So I, I think that as much as I would really like to think that 2022 is going to be just amazing and there's going to be like bikes falling out of the sky, like I am personally coming into it a little more cynical thinking like, man, it's still, it's going to be a rough year next year too. You know? I think everything you said is so exactly right i mean it happened to all of us probably everybody here listening their first bike was a thousand dollar bike or five hundred dollar yeah. bike and then pretty quick you get addicted you know some people don't they those bikes yeah. get dusty they'll go back to the gym but probably a good portion of them are going to want to upgrade their bike and buy something new and so we're definitely expecting demand to be very strong what i'm hoping and what we're seeing is that Hopefully, hopefully in 2022, the supply problems get better. So right mm -hmm. now we have this, you know, high demand and really bad supply and really uncertain supply. 
that supplies one thing. So you can plan for it. You can say, well, we're going to get X number of units every month. And so we can tell our customers, here's the date you're going to get your bike. Right now, we have factories that say, we're going to get you this many units. And then let's just say that there's a COVID outbreak at the shipping company or, you know, uh, maybe not even COVID, but there's a new tax. Yeah, some, some, some stupid freaking boat driver can't park in the US <laughs> now. And next thing know. <laughs> you know, there's always unknowns, but this year it, there's just so many unknowns and so many things that change. So I think at least going into 2022, hopefully, you know, COVID's less of a thing and we're at least going to be able to plan better and that supply should be more reliable. At least I'm an optimist when it comes to that because I have to be, but, but, but I think it's going to get better. I think a lot of new people are going to want to get bikes, but hopefully we'll be able to deliver them a whole lot quicker. Right on. What uh, what was the what was the inspiration for calling the company Revel? Um, that's a good that's a good <laughs> question. So Jeremiah Starkey, who's our COO and and, and head engineer, um, he was he also used to live in Ogden, Utah, with me. We both lived there for just a couple of years. Um, uh, he was over at my house having having beers one night, and we were just talking about you know this this brand that I was going to start um, before he was officially on board. And he said, do you have a name yet? And I said, no, you know, I've all this other shit to do before I come up with a name. Right. Um, and he said, well, have you thought of, you know, what do you think about Revel? And I, and my head exploded because like a year before that for Borealis, I had all these lists of names that I keep for like new potential uh, bike model names. And Revel was like at the top of the list. It's just Revel means like living in the moment, enjoying the moment, having fun, you know, Revel in the chaos, like it's just kind of a, it, it's all about the moment, which is, I think, what mountain biking is all about. And it, the second he said that, I, you know, I said, done. Went and got the trademark, paid a bunch of money for the, for a website. Um, not, <laughs> not too crazy of a story, but it just kind of, as soon as that, as he said that name, I thought that's absolutely the one. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. Same thing with why, just, um, you were like, why not? <laughs> Literally, it's kind of, why not? Why would you make titanium bikes? There's all this other modern material. You know, it's kind of, I think, a fun sort of marketing marketing challenge for us, you know, to name a company the word why. Chris yeah. had a good time with Google AdWords on that one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry about that. It's just, you know, why cycles products aren't ever meant to be mainstream. They're unique. They're different. They're, they're, they're fun. They're artistic. They're handmade. Every bike is a different laser etch quote on the chainstay, kind of like inspirational quotes. So we just kind of get kind of creative and artistic there. So we thought, why not give it just the name like why <laughs> yeah yeah no, that's super that's super fun I, I i i enjoy it personally so i really like the uh the look of the the revel logo and and the way that the the font is and stuff and i'm i'm, I'm not sure if everybody really cares about that stuff but it's something that catches my eye like when i first saw evil it was like man that font is sick like it just looks cool. It's like envy, you know, like when their 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 stuff came out, you just you're like, oh wow, that looks that looks neat, you know, like yeah, it makes like, you want to want to have it, you know. Crying and you care, right? Like right, like, right. Yeah. So, what are you guys excited about with the um, with with the bikes? <laughs> Riding them now. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's funny. We're 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 all like you know sunburned and stuff. It's so so we live in Carbondale, which is a town kind of in between Grand Junction and Aspen. For for those that don't know, but it, it, it's a town with a whole lot of winter. And I grew up in Alaska, so I, I love snow and I love skiing. And uh, recently this year, I got into snowmobiling. Chris, not a big fan, of, not a big fan of skiing. He's more into Arizona time. Um, <laughs> oh, that's funny. But. Uh, but uh, so so just in the last week, we've kind of shifted from full on snow where you can't ride any trails. We have to drive down to Grand Junction to ride to um, our local trail. There's about, what, five miles of drive trails right now, which is enough to like 
like Scratch all of us have been itch, yeah. going out at lunch, like a few people in the, in the shop here. We last week, the, the first day the trails were dry last week. Like I got a lunch ride in and then went out again at 6 PM after work and like saw right. more people that I work with out on the trails. <laughs> so, so like what, what are we excited about? It's just freaking riding them. It's finally sunny and warm out. So, um, Long term, it's just—I mean, we probably have different answers. I, 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 uh, you know, it's been—it's been a stressful year. It's been tough for everybody. I think um, again, our business is going very well, but it's been tough to to manage all these supply challenges. Um, I'm excited to get back out there in person, go to Sea Otter, go to Sedona Fest. Um, it's really empowering to kind of see the smiles on people's faces when they come back from a demo ride. I love New Bike Day. I like riding bikes myself. It's cool to to kind of share that and share good bikes with. Uh, do you guys have do you guys have a guy doing like like demo van driving around the country like you're looking at him <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll go out on big poles you know and like you know just hit it hard for like a month uh, uh-huh. and one of us will be one of us will be driving the other one will fly in depending on who's busier you know and, and just try mm-hmm. and uh and, and just put as many butts on bikes and ride with as many people like Personally, like this is a favorite part of my job. I love going to every city in the country and seeing everybody's after work local trails and mm-hmm. having to rip my legs off because they know where every rock is and they know where every jump is. And, yeah. And I just love it so much. And to be able to be able to call that work, it, it's really it's just really freaking cool. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I can I, I you guys were talking about the snow and stuff, and it's like I being a Northern California guy, it's like you forget that other people in the country or the world are like not able to ride. Yeah. Yeah. It's like for us, we're like, Oh yeah, well it's ski season. But I mean, it's ski season. If you drive to Tahoe, it's like still right. get in your boat season. If you come back down the hill, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, so. we actually just officially, we put it in our employee handbook as our business is growing. We have our own employee handbook now, but we put in there our official powder day policy. So if it snows more than six inches, the snow mask skiers are, Anybody can go ski and, you know, make up your time elsewhere or whatever. But um, we now have a real powder day policy. So, I mean, a, a lot of us in the building freaking love skiing. And we're lucky to live right down the road from some of the best places to ski in the world. Um, yeah, I'd have to get over there and ski. Honestly, I used to, like, I used to be a person that skied all winter and then, you know, rode bike in the summer. And, and I was just as passionate about both of them. And I didn't miss the other one while that season was in play, you know. And I think it's something about... I think it was like when I, like a lot of guys, I kind of took a little bike break from biking for a while. And whenever I got back into it, it just so happened to be right around when there was a few kind of shitty years of snow yeah. in Tahoe at that time. And it was like, we just rode all winter. Yep. Yeah. So then the next winter when it came around, it was like, well, like right now the weather's like super cool. It's like not super hot. Like why I, go pay all this money to go ski or like, ride up the road and ride my bike and yep. yeah yeah it's very similar to where i'm at right now where you know i've been snowboarding since i was 12 and i'm much older than that now and <laughs> and i just this season i was just like you know i just really want to ride that's all yeah. I, do. I, I just want to i want dry dirt every day and that's all i want so be kind of focusing all my efforts on that just staying on the bike I had this set of skis that had, you know, like back when parabolics first came out, you know, everybody was like, that's the baddest, awesome, most awesome thing or whatever, you know. And I had these like skis that I must have bought in like early 2000s and like, and they were just dated and beat the shit. And like a couple of seasons ago, 
in in my guy mind, it was like a season ago, but in in actual time, that's probably like three or four years, right? You know. Yeah. And uh, I went out and I was like, you know, I'm buying new skis this year, and I picked up a new set. I used them once, and and apparently, it's been like three seasons that they've been sitting on the wall. Bikes and, are fun, man. It's hard to yeah. it's hard to leave bikes, especially where you live. I can't like if, if I live in a place like that, I don't think I'd ski. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It really is. And it's like it's funny too, because like for us, um when the snow's in Tahoe, obviously all those trails are a no-go, right? So it kind of gives you this path, so to speak, to go ride all the stuff that's down at the lower elevation that you ignore all summer because Tahoe's open, you know, <laughs> so it's like, like, Oh, okay. Well, I guess I'll go to demo or, and, or I'll go to UC or I'll go to, you know, something else in the Bay area and ride all these trails that are like really great trails. But you know, once that snow melts, it's like, okay, I'm going to Downeyville. I'm going to Mount yeah. Huff. I'm going to like Tahoe and, and doing all these like high elevation things. And you know, the whole summer goes by and you're like, man, I don't feel like I got to do all those trails that I wanted to do at the elevation. And then you think about it, you're like, but I was up there like every weekend. So what else am I like, <laughs> what's my level of expectation? I don't know. Yeah, but it's, it's pretty, pretty tough life. We all lead where we have to decide between, you know, what incredible sport of skiing or mountain biking at elevation. Right. Like, right. I, I feel so lucky and living here, we get to, we get to do so much. It's, it was really cool to like, before COVID, we were traveling all the time. So in January, oftentimes we'd, we, you know, oh man, we have to go to Los Angeles for a work trip or something and right. you know, get to ride bikes. So the, the, this, the coolest thing about, about owning a bike company is it just gets to go all over the world and ride, you know, ride bikes in Oslo on the, on the, you know, commuter train. city, yeah, commuter trade, you know, riding yeah. in Zurich, you know, riding all over, you know, the UK, Australia and everything like that. And then, you know, get to come home and go skiing or, drive down the road and go to Moab or whatever. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's rad. So you said the bike behind you is your personal bike. It looks like you got like a, a push coil on there. Yeah. Um, I actually just finished building this thing up. Um, it's a, it's a one-off color. We did a, it, it's a purple. If you can see, um, we painted a bike this color to do a raffle last fall for an organization called love your brain. They're, um, a nonprofit that focuses on concussion awareness and treatment, which yeah. um, was pretty close to home for myself, for Chris, for several people here. So we knew we wanted to kind of do a, a, a raffle, a, a give back campaign. So um, Love Your Brain has, has a, their logo colors are this purple. So we made this made this bike, raffled it. We sold five dollar raffle tickets, and we raised sixty six thousand dollars and gave every single dollar to Love Your Brain, which was which was a really cool experience. That was our second year doing it. The first year we did it with the bright pink bike. Um, yeah, you guys did a breast cancer thing too, right? That pink one was sick looking. So, well, it, that was actually for Love Your Brain, but it was it, it was a little confusing because it was bright pink, which is kind of the color for ah. breast cancer. So, um, so that's why we did a purple one for the next year for Love Your Brain. Um, there you go. But uh, yeah, the, the pink one, we did limited edition 10, 10 frames in this obnoxious Barbie pink color. I still ride one of them. I'll never, ever get rid of it. Uh, yeah, that one's pretty sweet. I got a thing for pink right now. Like, so I yeah. <laughs> Um, it's, it's funny. I, I always, always just read black bikes until, until I owned a bike company and figured I better have the most obnoxious color bikes for, for, for myself. But, um, so yeah, anyway, so I, I made one more frame for myself for, the, for this purple thing and, um, and, uh, built it up, uh, SRAM X01 axis, 
of course, our Rebel Rebel wheels, RW30 uh, wheels, uh, which is kind of our Enduro level um, uh, rim uh, industry now. Hydra hubs, the engagement on those is freaking amazing. And then, yeah, the cream of the crop is this uh, push coil stock here. Um, push, they're all they're all made in um, uh, in, in Colorado. Um, every little part's made here, and they are absolutely the cream of the crop. It makes every single bike ride so much better. So. Uh, we started offering these about uh, I think six or nine months ago, and and the response has been really good. So, so you offer that on your builds as well, then? Uh, yeah, we do. Yeah, it's a it's a custom option to select the push shock, and it's not the cheapest uh, uh, upgrade for the bike, but it's one. Thing yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> so worth it. It's it's it, it adds a little bit of weight, but for me, I don't care about going up hills. As you know, I. I I'm pretty lucky. I have a lot of bikes or I get to at least ride a lot of bikes. Yeah. Uh, my Ranger, if I really want to sprint uphill real fast, uh, builds up a little bit lighter, but this one is just kind of a do everything. Um, really capable 29er. So you're pretty, pretty impressed with the, with the, the coils over the air shocks personally, just the push, just the push, <laughs> the push coil is amazing. We have put a lot of time on other coil shocks on our bikes and, uh, I would not, we don't, we, we only sell the push. It's, it's the absolute, yeah. it's definitely one we recommend. Um, it, it all depends on your ride style though. If you, if you want a little lighter weight, you know, the, the air shock's great. If you're okay adding a little bit of weight, but you really want to, uh, maximize that small bump compliance, the push coil is incredible. Uh huh. How do you, how do you go about choosing like what the, the component line is like instead of like SRAM or Shimano, or is it just like, you know, your personal opinion or it's, Hey, these guys are willing to meet the demand or the supply that we need. Or how, how does that, how does that decision get made? Actually, a, I actually saw that question. <laughs> I saw that question in the comments as well. Somebody asked um, if we, if we only spec SRAM. Um, we, we, we that, that's, that's a good question because it, that, that's a, as our business grows, that becomes more and more difficult as, especially with supply chain challenges of uh, balancing that bike nerd side and what do we want to ride versus what, do we, what, do we want to, or what can we sell? And that's something I'm very proud of as a business. Um, I mean, everyone in here rides bikes and most people are really freaking good at riding bikes. I, I used to think I was pretty good at riding bikes until I go out with, with, with half our crew and can't keep up. Um, <laughs> Get humbled. Yeah, it's a very humbling experience. <laughs> Uh, but everything we sell on the bike is something that we would ride. We didn't, we have kind of a policy that there's not a single item that we sell that we would ride our very, you know, and our most entry level product that we sell our GX build is a bike. I would ride all day long, all year long. It's fantastic. And we, we've gone back and forth with, Hey, should we, you know, sell an NX version or a Shimano Dior or something to try to get the price point a little bit lower. And, and all of us collectively in the building just kind of thought, you know what, we're, that's not a bike that we would personally want to ride. So that's kind yeah. of what all of our decision-making with the spec is, do we want to ride it? And then, um, and, and that rules out a lot. I mean, there's a ton of bike parts out there and there's a ton of them that, that, you know, don't make it as fun to, to rip down the trail. So we only sell what we want to ride. And so there's not a ton of choices there. SRAM has been absolutely incredible to work with. We love working with SRAM and RockShox. Um, they were very supportive from the beginning when, you know, before I launched the brand, I, I called some other, other brands to, you know, say, Hey, can we get an account to sell your products? And I got, I got hung up on a few times, you know, in the beginning, it was like, they're, they're really amazing. They're like, weren't you the guy with the fat bikes? Yeah. Back <laughs> oh, the fat bike guy. Yeah. Oh, that guy. <laughs> you laugh, but I, I heard that. <laughs> That's real. Um, so we, uh, 
we are working on some offerings from some other main component companies are not supposed to say yet, but um, we are working on expanding our offerings to have more more options for people still maintaining that, hey, if it's good enough that all of us in here want to ride it, we'll sell it. Um, but right now, RockShocks, uh, RockShocks and Tram are main offerings. Um, the push suspension was, uh, you know, that's another brand um, and an upgrade. I do have a Fox transfer dropper post on there. I just love those things. Maybe it's mm -hmm. the color, maybe it's how it feels. I can't, I can't quite say, but um, yeah. and then we, uh, we make our own under the Y cycles brand. We make our own titanium handlebar. And, um, I have put that on all of all of my bikes, titanium bikes and carbon. There's, there's one on this bike here. Uh, the tie bar kind of gives a little bit of flex and it soaks up some of those extra bumps and it just helps add that really smooth, quiet ride quality that we look nice. for. So we've started selling a lot more of those bars on our carbon bikes too yeah i don't know what it is maybe it's just all the extra miles i've been doing but for some reason like a month ago all of a sudden i just started having all this like hand pain and it wasn't something that i had ever experienced before but i'll say this last year and um trying to lose weight or whatever covid the opportunity to ride like i mean i've been riding at sometimes seven days a week Hell yeah. you know typically at least five days a week and um it was just all of a sudden i'm like i, I never n never had to think about that before you know and so on a sudden i'm like okay looking at handlebars and different grips and reading about apparently you know if you have your brakes rolled down too far like that contributes to it and um so those things they make a difference they make a huge difference so i i can totally understand where you're coming from there I, that makes me interested in in um in uh checking that out somebody well, asked We'll send you one to try out. It would be interesting to get your feedback since you've you've gone through having like some hand, some hand pain problems. But um, yeah, titanium bars. It's not. There's no other companies that put titanium bars on carbon. You know, more mainstreamish full suspension bikes. And yeah, so we get some funny looks, but most people ride them and they're like, "Holy shit, this this feels good." Um, so this guy yeah. asked if you guys are going to do 35. So I guess that's a still a, a, the. It's not a 35 mil bar. It. It's a 31.8 bar, um, yeah. and the answer to the 35 bar is we've looked into it, and it, currently the answer is no. Um, all of our titanium for, for these titanium bars and for our Y-cycle titanium frames, it's all cold form. You don't – hydroforming titanium isn't really a thing, and as soon as you add heat to the mix, it can mess up uh, a lot of the metal properties and all the benefits, mm -hmm. and it can weaken it. So everything is cold form. So to make that titanium bar, we start with a round tube, a butted tube, and then we have a steel mold. Uh, 12 ton press and just smash it in there. And you have to kind of, you, you, you have to smash titanium quite a bit. Titanium is really tough to work with. When you bend it, it wants to bend back. So as soon as, if we want to go to a 35, it's that much more material you, you have to bend and shape and there can be little, you know, it, it causes more problems. So the quick answer mm -hmm. is no. And then the ride quality is crap. The ride quality. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. 35 bars are not always the best riding bars. It, it, yeah. <laughs> it's just in titanium. Like it, you, you'd have to make it so much fatter and then you're losing a lot of that flex and that give like any, the, what, what you came to the titanium bar for like that hand comfort is, it's just kind of lost if you start. Got it. Side. Yeah. Cause titanium as a whole is pretty tough to, to work with. I mean, even the, I mean, to make a, pretty titanium bike is not easy i mean my understanding is just like being able to to weld that or it, it's not um it's, it takes much more skill than it did you know with with the the other materials 
you can't let oxygen touch the wells. So you have, there's a argon gas pump on, uh, there's holes internally in, in, in all the miters of the tubes. So their argon gas runs through the bike frame as the welds are being done to keep it clean. It's, it's a whole different level than, than normal steel or aluminum welding. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, it's, it's definitely, um, it's definitely interesting. That's for sure. You're obviously up for the challenge though, right? <laughs> and that's, that's the fun part. It's so, it's so fun to have an idea for a bike product and then to see it turn into reality and then to see a bunch of other people want to buy it. Like that's mm -hmm. kind of this world we're living in now where we're like, holy shit, all these people want to buy these bikes that we made. We didn't, I, I never thought it'd be as popular as it is. And we're still a tiny bike company in the big scheme of things. I mean, you know, we're, we're, I think we just hired our 19th person. Um, so we're pretty small. Um, Let's come a long way from seven nerds in a warehouse in a tiny yeah. mountain in Colorado. So it's, it's been, it's been a heck of a, heck of a two years. Hey, what um, <clears throat> you had mentioned earlier that there was some, some other bikes kind of in the, in the, in the making that that would be is that something that's going to happen this year or is that like uh next year or is that god knows because covid or yes can't say <laughs> yes <laughs> um yeah it's more it's more the the latter there um yeah. it's caused all sorts of delays with everything and i don't even need you know everyone knows yeah. that. doesn't need to hear me say that anymore but um yeah we have some new stuff in the works but we don't have any any dates on when when any of this yeah no, nothing nothing said on, on the time frame yet that, hey, it's uh, totally understandable as well. You know, I was thinking too, I wanted to ask when we were talking about the components, I, I've heard before that like, whenever you reach out to let's say SRAM that they're, they want you to have basically like their whole group set on the whole bike. Like they want all the pieces. Is that is that true or is it like, could you, do you have actually the flexibility to be able to say, hey, I want, your drivetrain, but I want, you know, Shimano brakes instead or something like that. Yeah. Shrams, you know, they're, they're fantastic to work with and um, they've been very flexible with us. I don't know what other uh -huh. brands deals are, but um, you know, I, I bought a bunch of products from them at, at when I worked at, uh, or when I owned Borealis um, enough so that at Sea Otter one year, I, they put me sure I'm sponsor all the follow cars for all the, all the pro races. So I got to sit in like the lead follow car for the, you know, pro men's criterium at Sea Otter is like a thank oh, you yeah. for being a customer. And that was oh, like, that's cool. That's super cool. Like um, it, it was so rad to like go down that corkscrew at 60 miles an hour and follow Peloton of people. Um, so it's yeah. like a lot of SRAM, um, but, but they, they've been awesome to us. So, so we can buy whatever we want from them. Um, uh -huh. But we choose, we, 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 we choose to spec their whole, their whole kits um you know we do offer fox suspension fox has also been fantastic to work with um uh -huh. their suspension products are absolutely incredible uh so a lot of our bikes we sell it's if people buy them from us or bike shops can can custom order um based off our spec kits uh they can buy you know a shram gx bike with fox factory suspension and that's mm -hmm. totally cool so um yeah sure yeah we can kind of do whatever but but I, i've heard you know every brand has a different deal with them and um yeah yeah we've been we've been really lucky jeremiah our coo worked at rock shocks for 15 years and designed um a whole ton of their products it's actually how i met him as he designed the first fat bike fork that rock shocks made in colorado he was based in colorado springs that's where i had uh, borealis fat bikes i got to know him as the lead engineer on this fork project so um we just kind of i'm i'm amazed at how many awesome connections our collective group of people have and uh -huh. that's really um 
led to a small brand like ours being able to do a lot more than I think we would have. It's really nice working with friends, basically, you know, like those folks in SRAM, they're only a few hours down the road in the Springs and and like, you know, sometimes they just call to say hi. Yeah. 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 You know, the bike industry is much smaller than I thought it was when I started, you know, in, in this like, you know, social media space, I, I, I definitely didn't realize that it's a pretty close knit community, you know, and, you like you were saying, you know, like, hey, this dude from Envy or this, you know, guy from here, or like everybody kind of knows each other. And and I think that's, you know, plays into what you said earlier about, you know, it's not necessarily it has a lot to do with, you know, who, you know, and how you can get things done. And, well, relationships, and, I, you know? and I think one, one experience that speaks to that, um, that I like to I like to tell is that, like, we ride other companies bikes, you know, yeah. like, we think all bikes are badass you know like and, yeah you know the, the day we launched at sedona you know we had owners from like owners people that i've looked up to since i was a kid from other bike companies come over to our to our booth and be like holy shit that's what you've been working on this is amazing congratulations like if yeah. you have any advice let me know i've been doing it for a long time i've probably made all the mistakes and like you know and it's like been this like tide that's rising all ships and like you know i think it's it's almost instinctual for you know average american to think that there's like this huge competition and like cutthroat in the industry yeah. but really man everybody's we're all just making badass toys and going to have fun on them as much as possible and right. every, everybody's been so supportive to us like there's been a handful of brands that we can't even think enough you know, mm-hmm. that are in our that we're direct competitors with and they've just been amazing so yeah how, how do people how do people buy your bikes they um like direct to consumer is it also just bike shops or what, what's the best way to go about it anything and everything whoever wants to give us money can get a bike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> show up at the front door and like <laughs> oh yeah no that that happens yeah so so uh we sell direct to consumer on our website uh much much more so as we've grown we we sell through bike shops in the u.s we have just over 100 dealers now that are stocking Rebel bikes dealers in America. And then I think we have like 17 or 20 uh, international distributors. So it's one company in say the UK, for example, that will import our products and then sell to all their bike shops. Um, we have a fantastic distributor in Australia. I mean, we go to our website, there's a, there's a list of all of them. So And when it's not a pandemic, you can just come to the warehouse and, and pick out a bike and have a cup of coffee or a beer. And, and yeah, out. we have a full like espresso bar and we, we can't publicly say that we have a bar bar but you know we might hand you a beer or something um and uh we have like a showroom area here we built it all out and then the, and the pandemic happened so so not too many people come come to check it out it's, it's a very very humble warehouse that we do have here but us uh, hopefully as soon as you know all this stuff gets back to normal you can come here you can demo a bike uh and you can buy buy a bike yeah we have, we have a trailhead a quarter mile from from the door one direction and four miles from the door the other direction it's it's pretty cool there's also if you don't want to buy it from us worldwide cyclery fanatic a few other uh, uh really awesome uh retailers just google rebel bikes and hopefully uh hopefully we've done our job how do you guys go about picking stuff like uh like tires or something like that you just go out and you know, like because tires are really like in my opinion like geographically centric you know, like what I might love here in Northern California, somebody in Southern California or Arizona might hate, or somebody back East could be like, those, those are horrible. Like, how do you, how do you choose something like that on a bike that you're selling to everybody? We do our best, but the first check is Maxis. 
Yeah, that's it. Yeah. There's no other tire. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we're gonna sound like a broken record, but back to you know having friends and and you know we we like working with our friends. The crew at Maxis, you know Andrew Ryan, the whole crew there has just been incredible to work with. We've been personal friends with a lot of them for a long time. So that was another another company that before I launched the brand, I called them and, and they said absolutely. And you know here's here's great pricing and we'd love to be on your bikes and do you need some extra tires to use in your demo fleet? And Maxis has just been incredible and the tires are the best. I mean, they're the best, the best. Um, but I will say like one of the more heated arguments that happens in our building has to do with product spec and tire spec is the number one culprit there because exactly like you said, it's really geographic. You know, once you choose a RockShox Pike fork, there's a few different damper levels and a lot of that comes into, you know, pricing and performance goal. Yeah. But tires are, everyone has a preference and, you know, we have a building of some people that are very, you know, high level riders on a, on a, you know, world-class stage and, and, they, and they get pretty opinionated. So, um, right. uh, we, we do a lot of tire testing. It's really cool when, you know, Maxis will send us like, you know, a huge bundle of tires that no one else has seen before. And they say, ride them. And then we get to ride them and see what they feel like and decide if we might, you know, might want to spec that. So tire testing is fun, but man, there's a lot of options out there and there's never yeah. an answer. So it's crazy too. I mean, just between the seasons, like, like the difference in the dirt and on how you feel about tires. I mean, there was one that I was using earlier this year that I, that, um, I was just like that minion SS. One of my buddies was talking about that tire for the longest time. And I just like kept blowing them off. Cause I had tried some other like short knobby tire in the past and hated it. Cause it didn't break well. And, and, um, my buddy just wouldn't shut up about it. And finally I bought one and then I was like, this is my new favorite tire, you know, for the summer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It had like a, there's like a, a, a hard cutoff of how wet the trail can get before that tire is complete shit. Right. But like, dangerous. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But before that point, it's like, it's just amazing because it rolls so fast, but it still has that great cornering. And I don't understand how it breaks so well, but I mean, there's definitely been a handful of tires that, I've tried on bikes that it was just like, oh, I got this new bike. It had these tires on it. I probably would have never selected them. And because of that circumstance, I ended up, you know, kind of expanding my horizons, you know? And so, yeah. but it, it I, I just, I, I can't imagine how I would choose one that I would think is going to be good for everyone. I, I guess if anything, you just kind of maybe over, over tire it, if anything. Yeah. And it's actually, you know, we've actually had a lot of, customers and, and, and bike media point out our tire spec is something that we do very well, um, which is good because we do have some heated arguments about it. But uh, it, a lot of brands will choose just a lightweight tire um, for their bike, a little lower cost might wear out quicker, but it's nice and light. So when you hang that bike on the scale in the bike shop and you get your bike weight, yeah. you know, oh, great, it's 27 pounds or whatever. But then realistically, most people are going to want to immediately toss off those, you know, OEM tires and spend $100 a tire on something new for that brand new bike. And, and our goal is, you know, back to maybe it's environmental or just practical or whatever, but less waste is better. Like there's not a single product on any of the bikes we sell that we would expect a customer would need to rip off and put on something new. And, yeah. and for a big one, a lot of times people buy a bike and they immediately go buy new tires. And, and, and I think we've at least done the best we can to eliminate most of that, where we choose tires for each model bike that'll, kind of optimize that bike in those areas. And, and, and we choose the good compounds too. Like, you know, spend a, spend a little bit more money on, on our side to get a, 
tire that you know we know is going to last on our red rock trails here that you know if we wanted to choose a cheaper option none of us would ride it so you could just go it's a really simple rule if it's a product we want to ride that's what we sell tires are tough though. yeah i mean I, I definitely see your point there i mean it's a drag if you're going to go spend a couple thousand dollars on a bike and then have to like have it show up and buy another you know couple hundred bucks on tires because you're not stoked about what came on it you know yeah. And we've all done it. Like all of us have been bike consumers before we were bike makers. So, you know, it, it sucks when you buy a bike and you're like, wow, this dropper post doesn't even, you know, function once you get it off the, the sales floor. Let's, let's, let's buy a new one. So, you know, we try to meet different price point bikes and we're, you know, we're definitely a high end brand. We're not selling low price bikes. We could, but then, then, you know, if someone buys yeah. it, replace three or four parts on there, you end up spending enough, you know, as much as you would on a new GX bike anyway. So it, right. It's a fun balance of we want to make bikes for everybody, but they're definitely bikes are expensive and they're high end. Yeah. It's just you got to make the bikes that you want to make though, too. Right. I mean, you, you, like, cause you, you're the one that has to like lay your head down at night. Right. You know? So I don't know. I, I, I would be in the same spot as you and kind of more like, I'd rather sell, sell a high end bike that fits the type of rider that I am as well as my friends. And, um, when those other guys that want to buy the cheaper stuff get to the point where they want to buy this kind of bike, then they can. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's tons of other bikes out there. I mean, I think everyone should go buy a $500 bike to start and, you know, probably yeah. get hooked and buy a nicer bike. And then the next year they'll buy a nicer one. And you just figure it out. Once you get into it, you just figure out how to get the bike you, you want to ride. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, interested. I'm, I'm curious. I want to ask you guys about what's coming, but I know the answer I'm going to get. So I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> well, <I'm> like, so. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. How do you, the element of surprise is definitely, you know, nobody knew that we were coming when we launched. You know, we, yeah. we hop on the scene and, and uh, you know, the, there's an old expression, nobody likes surprises, but I do. I like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Definitely. It, it'll, you'll, you'll be surprised. That's yeah. Like, I'll leave it at that. So, so it's going to be the new 36 inch wheel standard and uh, <laughs> 69 inch wheel penny farthing. <laughs> oh man, that's hilarious. Whenever, whenever you're um, kind of, you know, the new bike or the bikes that you guys ha have made already, we were talking earlier, you know, just like one millimeter this way or that way makes a huge difference on things. How do you, how do you go from like looking at that on a computer screen to, you know, obviously you kind of need to ride some of them before you can know that that's what you want, but how do you even like drill that down to like, here's the general five designs that we want. Cause I mean, I know when I make like logos for my or stickers for my channel, like I'll have like 95 versions. And so, I can imagine that, I mean, you obviously can't do that on making frames. How, how do you guys go about it? Yeah, well, I started off doing it the wrong way and now I think we do it the right way. So uh, <laughs> that, uh, I, I, I learned the hard way with, you know, the very the very first bike we made, the first rail prototype, um, the, I thought did everything right. And we got the first prototype and I pedaled it around and I was like, this is, this is not right. And I paid for a steel mold, which is a, a big pile of money and uh you know this is what four years ago now or so and uh that was a pretty tough it wasn't a tough decision it was a tough pill to swallow to say well 
going to recycle that steel mold and, and, and go make go make a new one with with all the right stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And now and then what I did is started working with um, Jeremiah and now we have uh, two full time engineers here. And it's pretty incredible the amount of work you can do in computer modeling and computer simulation. And now that we have our baseline and we know what we like when we adapt this model and these suspension kinematics to, you know, the next bike with, you know, more or less travel or different wheel sizes or, mm -hmm. or, or whatever. Um, we're very, very confident in how it's going to ride. So we kind of, uh, the, the first, the first rail we had, once we nailed it, which was took two steel molds to do, which is a whole big pile of waste of money. Um, then we did 13 carbon fiber layups to see how the ride quality was going to work. And, mm -hmm. um, True. So that's the same frame design, but just laying the fiber differently so that it flexes in different spots or something right. like that. Yeah, exactly. And it was so every single time I thought, man, we nailed it and I'd get that bike. We build it up right away at night. A lot of times, like, a, you know, some of the original crew would be at my house, you know, at midnight building up that bike that just showed up. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, we'd go ride it the next day or if it was winter here, we'd drive, you know, straight to the nearest dry trail to ride it. Every time I thought, Damn, this is for sure the one, you know, we're going to be able to launch this company in two months now. And every time you, you could tell them, you know, 100 yards in the parking lot that, man, this isn't, isn't quite right. So we'd go back with another iteration. And so through all that kind of trial and error process, um, I learned that you can do a whole lot of that work up front. We learned a lot of um, uh, lab testing. So we have just a, a ton of testing as ISO tests. And then there's a whole lot of, we call them the we know better testing um, mm -hmm. where you can simulate a lot of this ride quality stuff in the lab. So we can quantify a lot of this stuff now. So we have a bit of a formula for how to make the suspension, uh, the suspension ride well, and then the carbon frame ride well. And then mm -hmm. you ride test it to kind of make sure that all that work you did um, and all that engineering work was correct. And I'm proud to say the last, uh, the la the Ranger, the third bike in the lineup, we um, we were able to develop much faster because of all those things we learned on the other bikes. Mm -hmm. And going forward with some new bikes we're working on, um, mm -hmm. we've just taken all the things we learned and kind of applied them to be able to do things more efficiently. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't sure if you like would like build an aluminum or something like that so that you could at least pedal it and then kind of see like, hey, is the angles right or, but. I, I didn't even think about the the layup of the carbon as well being like a completely other factor of how how it all kind of falls together. Yeah, we do a lot of three D printing now, so we have a uh, hanging on our wall. If you ever come visit, um, we have a whole frame three D printed plastic frame, so you can kind of check fitment and things like that. Um, but really, in the last you know four or five years since we started developing these bikes, we've just kind of learned all the ways to eliminate that those errors. We've learned a lot about the geometries we want, you know, making the Y cycles products has been a really great way to experiment with geometry because it's a whole lot faster and significantly cheaper to weld a single titanium frame to say, Hey, what's it going to feel like with a 76 degree seat angle and mm -hmm. uh, you know, 64 degree head angle. So we've kind of done some experimenting that way. And then we can sort of apply what we learn with geometry stuff to our, to our carbon bike. So I think because we have such a breadth of products, um, mm -hmm and different types of manufacturing between our kind of collective group of, you know, either really good bikers or, you know, engineers, we're able to kind of work together and mm -hmm. quickly. It used to be a lot of companies would do aluminum prototypes and whatnot. And um, that's less and less popular as 3D printing is, is more of a thing in our and computer simulation is, is, is yeah. well. What would you like to see change in the bike industry? 
<laughs> I'd like to get more uh, more bike parts so we can send more more bikes out the door. <laughs> <laughs> if if the supply chain problems could be fixed, <laughs> we'd all sleep a lot better at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good one there, huh? That's for sure. Then, I, well, in, in seriousness, like what Chris is saying, the bike industry is freaking amazing. Like when we launched, I had people that I'd read about in magazines, you know, send me an email saying congratulations. And it is really freaking cool. I would not want to work in a different industry. Um, when I sold Borealis, my first company for about a week, I thought, oh, there's no way I'm doing bike stuff again. So it's kind of a stressful thing. And a week later, I thought, you know what, why would I, why would I ever do anything different? Chris did the corporate world and, you know, come back to the, to the bike thing. We're, it, it, it's a good place to be. Yeah, yeah. It's on a good track. I mean, it's it's socially aware, it's environmentally aware. You know, it's it's a it might be small, but it's still a big ship to turn. You know, and we, yeah. mountain biking did grow really fast. I think, you know, thirty years ago, it wasn't even really a thing. You know, we're, yeah. just, now, we're just now like through our kind of awkward adolescence as as an industry, and you know, and everybody's really realizing like us, we're not alone. Like we, we can rewrite some rules, you know, we can make parts that are recyclable, you know, yeah. we can give all our employees benefits, you know, like, yeah. you know, stuff, stuff that like, you know, other comparable industries, you know, maybe not in the outdoor, outdoor realm, but the same size aren't doing, you know, they're not being as, as, as conscious of, of their mm -hmm. surroundings of their audience. And, uh, and, and we're, we're just, we're pretty thankful to have the community we have around us. Uh, the other companies have been so rad and it's just a really great place to be. It's only getting better. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely been interesting. You know, I started riding mountain bikes in the nineties and I mean, they were essentially like road bikes with knobby tires and flat handlebars. You, you know, it really yeah. wasn't a whole, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It wasn't really a whole lot different. And, um, every year you, you try these newer suspensions or designs and you think to yourself, man, it can't get any better than this. Like this is, this is uh, amazing, you know? And, you know, then a year or two later, you know, a company like you guys come out and change, like change it up again. And you're like, holy crap. Like I didn't, I didn't, I don't see where the room for improvement is, you know? And, and it's, it's, it's awesome that there's companies out there like, like you guys that are, you know, working hard to try to come up with something new every year. And, uh, uh, I, I appreciate that. I'm sure everybody else out there does as well. And <laughs> definitely has to be humbling, you know, to to see your product out there, you know, on people's Instagram and them stoked, having a good time. And gosh, well, you know, when we launched, I had the the idea of you know this is going to be this quaint little DTC brand, like direct to consumer, and maybe a couple shops here and there from our friends. And and I want to ride with every single person that buys a Rebel. <laughs> like that was, that was my goal, you know. Like I want to, I want to show up to a town and get on a Facebook. Like you ride a rebel, like let's go. And yeah. I don't, I don't know if we can do that anymore, which is <laughs> crazy. You know, it's it's so it, yeah. It it gives me all the feels. You know, like, yeah. like I still want to do it. I'm still coming to your town. I'm still gonna try and ride with everybody that's on a rebel. You know, and right right on. I, but yeah, it's 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 really been amazing. Yeah, I'm definitely stoked to see see how this summer plays out. I wanted last year I wanted to come to Colorado to ride because um, it's not that far of a drive, you know, for me. And and a lot of the stuff that I've seen online just looks like it's in my wheelhouse, like the type of riding that I like to do. And so maybe this summer I can make my way over. Oh, yeah. we'll, we'll give you we'll give you the grand tour. It's, it's yeah. We got we got you know yeah downhill trails chairlifts uphill you know it, it, everything you can imagine in a pretty close area we'll we'll show you around there's a lot of stuff yeah in the there's a lot of hills 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm apparently it's a little easier for me to get up and down them now. So yeah. well, uh, I, oh, man, I, I, I'm looking forward to it to say the least, but uh, yeah, you guys got some, some good gnarly chunk out there. That's the stuff that I really like doing. And I don't mind putting the, I don't mind putting the work in if the, if the, the, the payoff is, is worth it, you know, and, and, and chunk above tree line, which is, yeah. the, which is the shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's tough up there at those high elevations though, man. You know, especially when you're climbing, you're like, I know in Tahoe, some of the highest that we get is pretty close to 10,000. You guys have stuff bigger than that. And oh yeah. yeah. I, mean, I know once we get up like probably about 8,500 feet for me and I start feeling like, like, like you get to the all fuck it stage, you know, you're like, like I could ride over that rock, but fuck it, you know, like <laughs> yeah. to get off the walk. <laughs> yeah. Shram, Shram Eagle's really nice out here. Up at those <laughs> elevations, you don't, you don't, you don't push hard. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I definitely have like, like I've just been recently deciding to put on uh, a bigger chain ring again. And it's like, I do this every year during the winter because I'm not riding at elevation. I'm like, oh, I could go 34. That, that'll be good, you know, because then I have more crank for the downhill. And and then as soon as I start at elevation again, I'm like, nope, switch it back. <laughs> you know, everybody that rides at 34 or 36 in this building is in their mid-20s and has a pro card. So yeah. like, that's like enough reminder to me that I need to scale it down. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I um, I – I wore out my last one right whenever I changed bikes. So when I changed bikes, it came with a 32 and I was like, oh man, this is really nice, man. I'm going to stick with this. But you know, right about now that thing's about worn out and I'm like, oh, I definitely need a 34. Definitely need it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Never worth it. Yeah. I, I never, apparently I'm not very intelligent. So just don't learn any lessons. Man, I had a great time chatting with you. It's been two hours and you guys have been super fun to have on. Is there anything that you guys want to say in closing or like last thing that maybe was something we didn't touch on? No, I'm just I'm just thankful that you thought of us and like, yeah, we're 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 still kind of in this like we can't believe it, you know, phase and our and uh but yeah, it's been really cool to talk and hopefully uh you know some people got a better idea of who we are and, and what we're what we represent and when things are safe and and the world's open again. Everybody has an open invite to stop by. And usually there's somebody leaving for a ride at lunch, mostly all of us. So wave <laughs> <laughs> and go ride with you. So, <laughs> so come on down. That's all. Right open, open invite for closings. <laughs> right on. Sweet. Well, like I said, it was good time chatting. Um, for all you guys that have hung out the whole time, I appreciate all of you coming. Oh, I don't want to hit that button yet. All you guys coming and hanging out as well. Do me a favor. If you like the episode, hit the like button, the subscribe button, all that jazz. You guys know how that stuff works. If you really want to follow the channel a little bit more, swing by the Instagram. If you want to find out more about Revel Bikes, there's a link in the show more of the YouTube or if you're on a podcast there should be in the the podcast notes or whatever a link to get over there as well definitely go check them out they're um they got some pretty pretty sweet bikes over there i like the colors the paint schemes look good like i said the fonts are sick the builds are good <laughs> nothing but good um reviews from what i've heard from just about everybody i've talked to I like i said i haven't heard any anything negative so you definitely have to get out there and, and throw your leg over something um, and, and give it a shot yourself. So I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to that coming out to Colorado and maybe seeing you guys this summer and everybody else out there. Um, 
I just want you guys all to remember one thing. It only takes a bike to be a biker. And so get out and be one. Hell yeah.